hero worship leads to disappointment, broken hearts, and, and, and posters torn off the wall. Everybody is subjected to the same rules on the internet. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all doing? How are you feeling about the football? Tomorrow, England play the Ukraine for a shot at reaching the semi-finals of the Euros. Gotta say, I'm pretty nervous. Last time we got there was in 1996, Euro 96, and we went out to Germany and I had a little cry. So fingers crossed, hopefully we're going to win tomorrow and we will be in the semi-finals next week. Fingers crossed. Anyway, how are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with baseball star CJ Wilson and American Hoddle, where we're going to be discussing Bitcoin maximalism and a whole bunch of other shit. Now listen, there is a lot of swearing in this episode, so if you're one of those people who writes to me to complain about swearing, you might want to skip this one. Anyway, before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors, and today we're going to kick off with Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. You know what? I actually used it yesterday. Now, Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, and that interfaces with your device. But if you're an Android phone user, you can also connect that to your Nano S and manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, we have Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin exclusively, but I haven't sold a single sat via Gemini yet. I'm only buying Bitcoin, and I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And you know what? I am yet to see a better interface for this. Now, with their streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing. And that is all through one clear, attractive interface. If you want to find out more, head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Next up, we have my newest sponsor, which is Revolut. Now, as many of you know, because I talked about this a lot on Twitter, Lloyd's TSB, my bank of nearly 25 years, closed down all my accounts recently. They clearly don't like Bitcoin, but Revolut does, and it could not be easier to create an account. And most importantly, they like Bitcoin, and they want to make it as easy as possible for you to transfer to exchanges. And for new customers, Revolut are offering $20 or £20 to anyone who signs up and completes three card transactions. It only takes a few minutes to do, and you can create a card and add it to Apple Pay immediately and get that cash in your pocket. You know what I would do, though? I would convert that immediately to Bitcoin. Now, this is a new relationship, and I'm working with the Revolut team to help them build a bank which is Bitcoin friendly. There is a lot to navigate here, but we are working hard at this. If you want to find out more, please head over to revolut.com forward slash WBD. That is R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com forward slash WBD. Also, let's talk about BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, offering a range of products for Bitcoiners. Now, with a BlockFi interest account, you can earn yield on your Bitcoin. I have been a customer of theirs for nearly two years now, and I love having my Bitcoin work for me. Also, with BlockFi, you can take out a Bitcoin-backed loan. You can borrow against your Bitcoin without selling, and they are also about to imminently launch their Bitcoin Rewards credit card, offering you 1.5% rewards back in sats on all card purchases. If you're interested in checking BlockFi out, I recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. 
Okay, onto the show today, and it's another fun one. It's a rehab show. Today we have American Hoddle back, and we're joined by legendary American cricket player CJ Wilson, who I had the pleasure of meeting out in Miami. He's such a great dude. Now, it was a lot of fun this episode. We basically chatted shit for two hours, but in amongst the impressions and the piss-taking, we did get into some important topics. We got into CJ's career as an all-star baseball player. We also got into hardcore music. Strangest thing, like I'm into this weird shit music called hardcore. It's like a form of metal that basically nobody likes. And I play it to everyone, they hate it. And I love this band, Earth Crisis. And it turns out this track, Firestorm, which is on the intro to this, uh, this episode, was like his walkout track, which totally blew my mind. We also talked about racing cars as well as toxic Bitcoin maximalism and what it means to be a Bitcoiner. Now, as I said, I met CJ for the first time at the conference in Miami, and I knew we had to get him on for a rehab show with Hoddle. These are shows I love making. They're good fun. I hope you enjoy it. As I said, if you don't like the swearing, I'm really sorry. You might want to skip this one, but it's good. Just have a bit of fun sometimes with all this Bitcoin crazy shit that's going on. Anyway, if you want to reach out to me, got any questions about the show, you know my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com, and I do reply to everyone. Anyway, let's get on with the show. How you doing? What's up, man? What's up, dude? How you doing? What's up, dude? I see you've entered the geopolitical sphere. Was this part of uh, MI6's plan for you the entire time? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Is like people are like, oh, you've done so well. You're crushing it. I can't believe you got an interview with the president. I was like, I'm a fucking spook. How do you think I got the interview? <laughs> you fucking stupid. <laughs> Dude, that was wild. That was wild. Yeah, how, how was that, man? Uh, do you want to know the truth? Do you want to know the truth of it all? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you two stories. Firstly, we had, uh, as soon as he did the spaces and it became public, right, I uh, kind of, I was like, I've got to get the first interview. You want to have the first one. So I just reached out to the brother, brother and I was basically harassing him, saying, come on, give me the interview. And he was like, yeah, come on. If you come to El Salvador, you can have the interview. I can't tell you what day. So I had to let my ex-wife know and I was going to be like a, up to a week late. And finally got it. But I asked for a meeting first because I didn't want to just cold interview the guy. I was like, I knew I, knew I had to meet him first. So I got the um, I got the meeting and it was really funny because you get there and there was like all these kind of soldiers lining the corridor. And as you walk down, their eyes follow you down the room. But there was about an hour, an hour wait before the interview, uh, the meeting started. He was just late. And I, I, I probably went for, I think I went for a piss five times because I was so, so nervous about it. <laughs> It kept going, and I was thinking these soldiers kept looking at me, going back and forth. But they were thinking, "You fucking moron!" And then, um, <clears throat> then we got the interview. But the problem with the interview is, I woke up on the. You know, I got this bad back. I mean, I guess, yeah. Do you? Well, I thought you did. Well, I CJ knew. Better yeah, I, I read your Twitter, so. I, I, that's oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Sorry, Peter. I don't. I don't remember every intimate detail of your life, but yes, I've been. I've been bitching about my back for a, about a year. Anyway, my back's fucked, right? But like, it's manageable. So I, I wake up on the morning. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm like, I'm gonna go and get a coffee. I can't sit down. I try and sit down, and it's just the sciatica's agony down my leg. So I was like, um, <clears throat> I text Michael Peterson. I was like, Look, if you got any. Drugs, I can tell you, I've got this problem. So he turns up with like, like Walter White with everything, and he was like, um, and I ended up taking a tramadol and a muscle relaxant, a relaxant, and that worked. I was able to sit down. I was like, okay, we can do this. So um, we pack our shit up. Me and Jamie jump in the taxi up to San Salvador, but I have to lay on the back seat because I can't sit down. And then we get there, and I I take him again as we go to the interview, and then the brother comes. He's like can I get you anything? I was like, can you get me a whiskey? 
He's like, yeah, sure. So he gets me a whiskey just so I can calm down. Um, and I was fine. I wasn't too nervous during the interview. But about 40 minutes in, I start feeling a bit queasy. And I was like, oh, shit. I think I feel a bit sick. And then I started going through my house like, God, what would happen if I just vomited right now on camera in front of the president? <laughs> and then I was like, well, Did now I'm going to fucking puke because I'm thinking about this. Right, I'm going to puke. All this, and all I could think was puke, puke, puke. Like, so I ended up saying, look, can I have a, can I have a five-minute break? And I had to just go to the toilet and calm myself down. And I, I don't know what it was. I think I was just overwhelmed by was the that where you had to? Was that when you had to check back in with the CIA? Was that what was That's going why on? I had to go and go. Okay. Change the, okay. the battery was out on the wire, so you had to go. The wire it tap up. was yeah. That's yeah. 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 So that was that. But it was wild, man. So it was how just are they? Woman. How are they planning to infiltrate El Salvador, Peter? <laughs> well, well, I think they're leaving it over to our brothers in uh, the CIA for this. You know, MI, well, MI6 you know would just provide an intel. You know what I want to know is like you were there, right? You know right after the big announcement and everything, like what was the energy like on the ground and like how did it feel and like, you know, just what was the sense you got from being there? Um, well, no, I, I mean, I was there a few days afterwards. I mean, it was just kind of like, I went down to, down to El Zonte and everyone was just kind of cool. Everyone was kind of like, this is amazing. This is all the work we've put in. It's great. And then fucking Brock Pierce and his uh, shitcoin entourage turn up. <laughs> So uh, it's really, you know, really legitimizing all the effort from Jack Mahler's and everybody else over the last couple of years, you know. Do you know what they're fucking wankers? So, um, so he turned up at the, there's this like really nice hotel in Zonte, and um, and I I got a couple of invites from different people at the thing to come along. I was like, I'm gonna go, and so I turn up and it's like this. It, it feels like one of those dinners that maybe Maduro has behind doors while the Venezuelans are starving and they're drinking and enjoying themselves. And there's like this guy playing the saxophone. I was like, what's this bollocks? Like, everyone who's come down to El Zonte has come to spend time in the community and get to know it. And they've come down for this shindig. So uh, so anyway, Brock comes over to me and Jamie and I'm like, you all right, Brock? He's like, yeah. I was like, this is pretty cool. What, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, I just want to help the people of El Salvador. I was like, oh, cool. So like, uh, how long are you staying here in Zonte? He's like, oh, I'm not. I was like, oh, you're only here for the meal? He said, yeah. I was like, oh, so are you going to go and see any of the vendors? He was like, no. I was like, okay, so you're not going to go see the ATM? He was like, no. I was like, so you're not going to spend any time with anyone in the local community and get to know what this project's about and what they're doing? He's like, no. And I was like, fuck off. Well, I didn't say it to him, but I was just thinking, fuck off, mate. You know, there's people yeah. who've been coming here for two years and you come here with your fucking shitcoin delegation and claim that you're like this official thing. It was just, it was kind of gross, dude. It was just gross. Well, like conversely, like me and CJ have a mutual friend, Colin, who went down post-announcement and, you know, he brought some cell phones that were uh, preloaded with Bitcoin and he brought toys for the kids and, you know, was really trying to like help impact the locals' lives there. And I, I think that's more of the story I've heard from most, you know, real Bitcoiners uh, who aren't there for, you know, self-promotion purposes or whatever. Like it, I, there was like a real energy after the Miami conference that people just wanted to go down and like be a part of it and see how they could help and you know, not anglicize the entire thing, but just actually like fit into the community down there in El Salvador and see how they could help make El Salvador, you know, more prosperous using Bitcoin, which I thought was like, obviously like fucking awesome. It's just crazy, man, that this is where we're at. We're at like geopolitical, like phase five Bitcoin adoption. Uh, I was ruminating on it the other day and I was just thinking, if you would have told me this in 2015, like 
I would have believed you, but like the fact that it happened six years later, like that's fucking insane. It's insane yeah. that this is where we're at, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, it's funny. You know it's, like, it's funny. Go on, CJ. I was going to say, it's funny that you bring up the anglicizing thing because I think that's one of the deals that is is sort of lost when you see the the locals actually participating with Lightning Network and stuff that they're looking to kind of self-sustain and invite people down as a tourist destination so that we spend money and kind of increase the increase the economy. But if you see like a W hotel going in there, you know what I mean? Like that that really doesn't do the same thing as having the people that actually live there that are actually at the beach, you know, like seeing it lift up from within, which is what I think all of us want, you know, for for the people of, of El Salvador. We want to see that kind of like come out of the ground and, and have be a grassroots thing and not be like this, you know, sort of like white people airdrop or, or you know, oh, here yeah. you go, people, you know. That's, I mean, I, look, I'm really interested in that. It's going to happen. Look, there's a bunch of people with Bitcoin who've got money who are going to think, do you know what? I can live here. It's no capital gains tax. It's cheap to live. I can buy a bit of land and build a property on the beach with a pool for, you know, under $500,000, and it's an amazing lifestyle. That's going to happen. Yeah, it's certainly going to happen. I just hope that the the way the money comes in from these people it helps raise everyone up, right? That's what I hope. Um, yeah. And well, more more doing the you know thing our friend Colin did, and less doing the Brock Pierce thing where you come in fresh off your cocaine party in Miami, you fly oh. down in your private jet, you look fancy at the meeting. <laughs> what I didn't, I'm not. That's just a rumor. I don't know if that's true or not. It's not like I was there. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble. Well, yeah. no, the thing yeah. is, like, I, I, you know what, like, I'm, I've been, and I know a lot of other people have been, and every single person they reach out, they're like, where should I stay? How do I visit Bitcoin Beach? Like, what is there to do? Like, every single person I know has gone down there, spent time in the community, and got a feel for what it is. You can't, go, by the way, this hotel's great. The guy who runs it's awesome, and he's a Bitcoiner. There's no, I'm not literally not holding it against him. It's the only place that could host a night like that. But to just come down for your photo opportunity to, and I know I'm a hypocrite because I like photo opportunities, but to come down for your photo opportunity and then just put up on Twitter that we're the delegation, like it's a fake photo opportunity. And just to do that and not go and check out the project and make it all about you. It's just gross. It's just bollocks. But look, but the thing is, everyone saw right through it, right? Everyone did. And, um, you know, he tried to defend himself. And it's just like, dude, read the room. Just read the comments. Like, just read the fucking comments. Defending yourself, defending yourself in this culture right now is extremely hard because it's so easy to pierce that 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 veil of of kind of like, you know, I would say fakeness or falseness or, or sort of false, false pretenses. Yeah. It's, if you're not authentic, it's so easy to sniff that out. And it's, it's, it's been happening. And I think the, the Bitcoiners are more and more incentivized than ever to call each other out even, you know, obviously and call other non-coiners out or whatever. The second that they step out of line, it's like, you know, this is no, that's not correct. And I think that's kind of essential. There's a lot of people that are sort of having this toxic backlash or backlash against toxicity, but it's sort of like, you can say breathers. I'm, I'm not. I'm not specifically getting into that. I think there's a better way to, to to specify that. But I've seen a lot of people say that, like, oh, the toxicity thing's bad because obviously Hoddle is, you know, a self-proclaimed toxic maximalist. But um, and we talk about this a lot, King of the Pubs. But it's like if you're seeking out fame as a part of this, that's not going to work. You know, that's just the mm. that's the 
that's the, that's the real thing that just isn't going to work in this type of movement because it is yeah. more about, you know, like the community than it is about one person. The Bitcoin we doesn't probably, You know, we should probably introduce our guests. Some people might not know who this is. I know, right? Like, is. I was going to say, yeah. like, how, you, we have an actual famous person here and we're yeah. talking about you for the first 10 minutes of the show. Like, wow. Jesus Christ. You are, a, you really are a spook, man. I, know, <laughs> I just want to keep, I just want to bring up that reference as many times Ra- as possible. Racing car driver. You really, do, you just got to pound that narrative, don't you, Peter? No, I'm just kidding. Dude, I'm all right with it. Listen, sp- spook money's should, good. Should I, should I put a helmet on so it's like I'm more in the mode right there? Well, listen, like, I didn't know about the racing car thing. You might have told me in uh, Miami, but I was drunk, but I knew you played American cricket. And uh, I was quite yes. in that. Stickball. I was a I was a really good stickball thrower back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Did you just call it American cricket? That's like you call it fucking American football. You can kiss my ass. Okay, we that's no. It is football. Because yeah. there's one guy who kicks it, so that's football. All right. I don't make the rules. Think Dude, about it. We had football before before, you know, you came up with your weird rugby <laughs> and called it football, American football. It's American Added cricket. Rugby. It's American cricket. It's less civilized. Um, it's Absolutely more, less civilized. Absolutely yeah, less, civilized. less civilized. You actually, you are, you're actually the only people who have invented a game more boring than cricket. Which is what baseball? Yeah. What? I don't know. Baseball is not more boring than cricket. Are you kidding me? It definitely is. They wear, they wear shin They wear shin They crash into each other in baseball. You can like take people out. Yeah. You can slide into them and knock them out. It's awesome. You can. You know, it's it's pretty cool. You you hit a home run and you flip the bat. You know, like that's that's to me pretty cool. Well, that's that's just not very civilized. Um, I th- <laughs> it just just isn't. As uh, as one of us is wearing a Yankee hat, which is a baseball team, and know, the rest right, of us are not wearing Yankee hats. Well, this my kids bought me this for my kids bought me this for Father's Day. I'm not even a Yankees fan. Um, I guess yeah. I'm a Dodgers fan. Dude, Look, I've I, been to I've been to like nine baseball games. And there was, and I've seen one good thing, which was I went to a playoff game where Justin, I told you this, Justin Turner hit a walk-off home run in a playoff yeah. game. And that was wild. That was like four years ago against the Cubs, I think. Probably 2017. Yeah. No, I'm just ripping on you, man. I like baseball. I mean, you know, it's like you got to go with what's what's going on where, where you grow up. You can't really just, uh, you can't move somewhere else and say, I just want to be a Formula One driver or something like that. You know, you got to, the kids are playing playing soccer or footy or whatever you guys call it, then that's what you got to do. What's it like? What is it like being like making it as a sports guy? It's actually a lot slower process, you know, than you think it is. Because even if you get drafted and you get all this money right as a kid, you still have to go up the ladder. And so with baseball, there's six layers. You have to go through the minor leagues and there's these different layers of the minor leagues. And every time you move up, you're like losing people, you're losing friends. They're they're getting fired. They're going back to work at Target in the off season. And you have to, you know, kind of work your way up. But like I had a bunch of injuries and stuff growing up. So I, I, I never took it for granted. And I think that was what kept me a little bit more grounded. That being said, the longer it took me to make the money, the re- the more ready I was to spend it. Like I was like such a car guy. I was like, as soon as I get money, I'm getting a cool car. And yeah, um, my world, you know, yeah, that's, that was, that was always the motivator for me was, was to get a cool car. I didn't really care about a house so much because until you have like a wife and kids and stuff, you don't really need to settle down. So I actually had roommates until I was about 30 years old. Um, but then I had a career GT when I was 28. You know? So imagine having like a career GT supercar and then roommates, you know, just kind of a weird dichotomy there. 
eating Del Taco. You, you know what? Can... Aaron Rodgers had a roommate for like a long time, didn't he? And then there were all these rumors that he was gay because of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know why I remember that. Yeah, I, I think it's weird though that a lot of guys they they spend their money and they they get a crib and they get all this stuff and it's like this thing and it turns into this competition um, and they make themselves targets, you know. And I think that's that's a big thing, especially the NBA guys because they're so hard, they're so easy to pick out. They're six foot eight, you know. They don't look like they don't look like anybody else in the room. And so when they walk into a restaurant in Beverly Hills, it's like, oh hey, that guy plays for the Lakers. But as a regular sized white guy, like six foot one, just strolling in somewhere, I could have kind of been anonymous. Didn't matter how much money I made or whatever, unless I was in cities like New York. When when did you get when did you get into Bitcoin? What year did you get into Bitcoin? Uh, we can come back uh, to that. Come on, don't be fucking. No, I'm, nerdy. I'm curious, man. Fucking geek, and I just did sports stuff. You've got a proper Wikipedia page. That's how I know you're famous. Like people who are on the on the kind of cusp tend to have that one paragraph. But you've got a Wikipedia page with sections. CJ was a fucking all-star, dude. He played in the league for 10 years. You know what I mean? Most most importantly than than the all-stars or any of that other stuff is I had my own design shoe and my own glove. So you could go to the store and get the CJ Wilson Wilson baseball glove. That was pretty badass. You're straight edge. Yeah. Are you into like straight edge hardcore? Uh, I used to be as a kid, but not so much anymore. I mean, I'm more like... Like Earth Crisis. Absolutely. That was my walkout song uh, when in like 2009 or something like that. What, yeah. Firestorm. Tell me it's Firestorm. Firestorm. Yeah. Oh, you can go on YouTube. God. You can see that. Yeah. You oh, can go on. You can see that. Uh, yeah. Oh exactly. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. That's, is that on YouTube? Uh, yeah. There's a YouTube uh, me walking out to Earth Crisis. But a lot of my friends were musicians growing up, you know? So um, like one, one of the guys that was like in my wedding party was Dave Havoc from AFI. Um, and he's a straight edge guy. So I met like CM Punk, the wrestler guy, cause he's straight edge and H2O, the, they're straight edge. So I knew all those guys. So it's like a very kind of interesting community. Um, that's mad. I can't believe I didn't, I didn't know. That's that why my Twitter handle is straight edge racer because I like racing and I'm straight edge. Not, it just didn't cross my mind. Dude. So I, wow. I was in, I was totally into the straight edge hardcore, but I, I never, I could not drink. I like drinking and drugs and, um, yeah, yeah, smoking were, and sex, but I like straight edge hardcore. You were a yeah. drug addict, but. <laughs> yeah, but that was later in life. No, no, no but this is as a kid, and uh, well, so that's was why I was that's why I was straight edge because I saw like I had, I had a lot a couple family members uh, have some serious alcohol problems, drug problems. One of my uncles actually uh, never I never got to meet him because he was like single car accident DUI death. Oh, shit. Um, so it was like, for me, I, I was like, I wanted to be the baseball player, get the Ferrari Testarossa. This is circa like 1989, 1990. I wanted the Testarossa, like Don Johnson. And, and I knew I had to be a baseball player to do it because I wasn't going to be a doctor and cut people open. I'm just not into that shit. So, um, you know, that was it. And, and it, so I saw all these people making life mistakes. And I was like, well, I can't turn out like that. I need to kind of go past that. The straight edge thing I sort of found when I was maybe a teenager, but it was by the time I was like 12, then I was pretty much straight edge for life. I've got straight edge tattooed on my, my ribs right here. I can't so. believe your walkout song was Firestorm. You know, I was about 15 and I went to Slam City Skates in London. We used to get the CDs and I was mm-hmm. like, you got the hardcore. And this guy was like, oh, I've got this one track you got to hear. And he brings me out yeah. an EP of Firestorm. And I was like, "Yeah, what the fuck is, hard. is this? It's Dude, really that hard, song. Yeah. And do you know what? It's yeah. got that street by street, block by block. I'm like, yeah, block yeah. by block. Hard, that's yeah, a, that's exactly. a Bitcoin song. Absolutely. I still listen to that when I work out. You know, Dude, I, that's, I've got like a hardcore compilation on Spotify and that's in there. I've got a bit of Snapcase. I bet you're into Snapcase. 
Yep, Snapcase. Uh, oh, did you ever listen to Throwdown? Yeah, of course. Did you ever Throwdown? Yeah, so I knew a lot of those guys. A lot of those guys were all in the Orange County kind of hardcore scene growing up. And um, Hold on, so my, you must have been into Ignite then. Absolutely. How did they Ignite, get away with that? They're like, yeah, but they were like a hardcore band, but they weren't really a hardcore band. Uh, they were, I mean, did you ever listen to Offspring's first album? Yeah. Ign- Ignition? So yeah. they kind of like went towards that. That that was sort of more their their thing. It was more of a just a sort of fast punk music as opposed to like hardcore, you know. But so I mean, I when I was a kid, I played guitar. I listened to Rage Against the Machine and like Metallica yeah. and all this other stuff. That's like I was super metalhead as a kid. So that's that's what I was always into. I've got a kind of funny ignite story. So my dad, when he was like sixty two, I got him tickets to go and see Bruce Springsteen at <laughs> uh, Arsenal Stadium. So okay. we go to this concert and we're up in the seats and the acoustics in this new stadium isn't great. And also my dad's a smoker and I could just tell he wasn't enjoying it and he was smoking and wanted to have a cigarette. And I was looking at him going, are you enjoying this? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew he was. I was like, you're not, are you? I was like, look, if you want, there's a, a punk, I call it punk, so we understand. I said, there's this punk band playing over in Camden. Do you want to go and see it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's go. And I know he only agreed because he wanted to have a cigarette. So anyway, we get down to Camden and we get to the venue, and it's a bit like um, American Vacation. You know when they go up, mm-hmm. they turn up, and Wally World's closed? It was like that. So I turned, and I was like, two tickets, they went sold out. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then there was like this big dude covering tattoos. I was like, are you part of the crew? He's like, yeah, I'm the road manager. I was like, look, mate, do me a favor. It was my dad, he's 62. Last chance he'll ever get to see Ignite. He loves the band. Can we get in? And he took us in. So my dad, they were like halfway through the set. So he got the second half of their set at Camden Underworld, and he loved it. That's wild. You, yeah, it, Ignite's great. I mean, I really like their music. I mean, just the way yeah. the music sounds is great. So, um, but yeah, I remember like uh, the last really good fight I got in was like at a Killswitch Engage concert in like oh, 2010 or something like that. 2011. Who was singing? Uh, Howard was still singing, I believe. Hey, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw Howard uh, sing with them at Bricks, and Hoddle's got no fucking idea what we're talking about. Zero, zero. It's There'll okay. Like uh, three people listening will know what we're talking I about. Under, I, I knew the CM Punk reference and Dave Havoc from a- AFI. That's it. That's like as far as I go into the scene. Dude, yeah. you need to listen to Earth Crisis. <laughs> yeah, you, I'm gonna you check, like, I'm gonna check it. I'm gonna it'll check get it you out super toxic. It'll get you super toxic. <laughs> yeah. Firestorm will. Do you know, I never got to see him live. I've never got to see them live. No, never saw him. Oh, yeah. Man. They did but that. Yeah, final that whole scene. Show. In, in, in SoCal, it was really big. I mean, it was like a yeah. thing. And, um, you know, kids used to like go to school with like X's on their hands and stuff like that. You know, mm, I mean, I this is like that. early 90s, you know, mid 90s. By the time I was in high, by the time I was a senior, I graduated high school in 98. So by that point, I think it wasn't as big of a deal. It wasn't like trendy anymore. And a lot of kids had already like sold out and done other stuff. But um, I was always into it. We had a kid like overdose in seventh grade. So I was like, fuck. That dude's not making the big leagues. He's gonna die. So um, I was just like pretty, pretty logical about all this stuff. But for me, it was always about just giving my ch- myself the most chances to be successful. And I so didn't what, see that path as, as any other alternative, really. So one thing I didn't realize with baseball when I went, lucky I was with the guys explaining it all to me. I didn't realize like there's multiple pitchers and then you have to rotate because of the arm mm-hmm. and they get tired and stuff like that. But there's usually the main guy and then kind of the backup guys. Is that are, that, are they also levels? You have to work through that? Or once you, yeah. once you got in the team, were you like the main guy straight away? No, I mean, like when I first came up, I was a relief pitcher. So I would pitch like, you know, to get one or two guys out in the middle of the game. They were like, oh, this lefty, I'm a left-handed pitcher. So they'd be like, oh, this lefty, 
you got to go get him out specialize in that. Um, but like my first, my first batter that I ever faced was in Miami actually. And, um, I came into pitch and there was a runner on second base. So two outs, I, I have this crazy long at bat with this guy named Jeff Conine. He gets a hit and then hit, like the right fielder comes up, picks it up and throws the guy out at home. So the guy got a hit, but nobody scored because, you know, they got the out at home and that was the third out of the inning. So that was it. So then I was like, okay, I guess I did good. I guess it's kind of weird, like a really auspicious debut. And then the next day I pitched against this guy named Carlos Delgado who had, uh, he'd hit 40 home runs, which is like kind of a big number for, for baseball a bunch of years in a row with the Blue Jays. Um, and he was like, he was actually like one of Puerto Rico's like most famous baseball players at the time. So then uh, I ended up striking him out and the next day, and that was kind of like, for me, like the real, like I made it kind of thing where I had the confidence that I knew I was going to be able to stick. And then I actually got sent back down to the minors and back up and forth, like probably six times that first year. And that was emotionally a little bit difficult for a pretty volatile situation. I had some funky stuff going on, uh, health wise or whatever. I, I had elbow surgery, so I didn't have like my nerves weren't working. I couldn't feel like these two fingers. Um, so it's, the reason why I retired is that's, that's as much as I can bend my elbow. Holy shit. As opposed to this. And that's as straight as it goes. So if I, I don't know if this makes sense, like I can't, yeah, yeah. that's as straight as my arm goes. Oh man. See that difference? It looks that's weird crazy. with the fishnet camera, but yeah. That's, it makes, that's it makes me think of that guy in Moneyball where like he wanted that picture, even though his like arm was dumb because he could make bass or something. It was, uh, yeah, he wanted wandering cone for some reason. Yeah. Or Chad Bradford, the under this sidearm guy. Yeah. So one more question, I'll let Hoddle start grilling you on Bitcoin. Um, do you, if you're a, if you're a pitcher, do you, do you have to bat as well? You only bat in the National League, but see, when in college, I was a center fielder, so I batted, I batted all the time. I wanted to bat, I wanted to bat more often, and our coaches were always like, "Oh, we got guys that do that, whatever." Um, so, like, my first chance I got to bat was ten years after college in spring training, and I hit a double in my second at bat. And I like I come in and I scored and all the all the all the Dominican guys are like this is like oh it's that easy huh okay <laughs> you know and it was really funny um, but I I was a good hitter at, in college and I played with a lot of guys where I would play center field they play left field or third base or whatever and they made the major leagues and they were like dude why don't they let you hit anymore and I'm like I don't know but um, I got a couple of hits my first hit in the majors in, in a real game was a triple actually I hit a triple in Houston. That's also on YouTube. You can check that out. That's probably a career highlight of mine. Because my buddy told me if I hit a home run that game, he was going to streak naked onto the field. So I was like, oh, fuck. I need to like really try to hit a home run. Uh, because he, he actually has a tattoo on his butt that says, fuck yeah, like one on each cheek. And so that would have just been the most epic, so like Getty Images photo of like <laughs> this dude with his butt sticking out, you know, and then like a security guard tackling him. Uh, that would have been like a great baseball card for the second baseman to like, you know, like streaker running by. So that is probably my favorite part of, of baseball is when someone tries to run onto the field and the security guards just obliterate them. It's great. So I've searched for you on uh, YouTube. I've got CJ Wilson Baseball Earth Crisis. It's got a turf monster. It's got a bit of you racing. And then I've got 10, act 10 actors who turned into monsters and unusual people who took plastic surgery too far. Yeah, I, that's definitely not me. If you go, let's see. <laughs> CJ Wilson. If you go, CJ Wilson hits triple. Then that's there. There's that there. I want the yes, um, Chrysler one. You might have to type walkout to get his walkout music. You know, if you yeah, CJ Wilson enters the game for Texas, and I think they might have something for that. But I I use like uh, 
uh, Iron Man was was the song one time. Um, I did a uh, Smashing Pumpkins zero because it's like as a picture you were trying to put up a zero. Um, I used uh, I I also tried like reverse psychology where I came into the game and I played a song called Chromio or is a, by a group called Chromio. It's like a it's like an Israeli guy and a Palestinian guy that are like a funk duo from Montreal. And uh, to try to get everybody like happy because it's so fucking hot in Texas, dude. Like in two thousand nine, I was just mix, mi- making stuff up, but I I actually helped the team a lot with different like marketing ideas. We did a Reno nine one one spoof actually one year as well. Um, I miss that show so much. Who's Ron? Who's Ron Washington? Ron Washington was my was my manager who uh, got busted for doing cocaine. Um, <laughs> And Mad. so him and I, him and I did not see eye to eye. Well, so, uh, no. So he had a he, he had a spring training meeting, right? This is amazing. So in spring training, there's like 80 players on the team before they start making cuts. And he walks out of the he walks out of the office, and Nolan Ryan's with him. I, I think Hoddle, I think I told you the story in Miami. I'm not sure if I did or not. But um, uh, so Nolan Ryan is like this legend. He's like the, the one of the top pitchers of all time, and he worked for the team at the time. And so like they walk out of the office. Ron Ron goes. Well, men, I'm here to tell you, sometimes you don't make mistakes. I know some of y'all ain't perfect. I'm here to tell you, I ain't perfect either. I had a low point last year, and I did some cocaine. We're all like, (laughs) what the (laughs) What did he just say? (laughs) We're like, dude, this guy's 60 years old doing blow. Like, what is going on? You know? That that heart's going to not last long. That's when you should do it. You know. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, <laughs> so we're like, Oh my God, it makes so much sense. Like last year in the seventh inning against the white Sox, he did this thing. And like, he must've been high. Like there's no way he would have done that logically. So, uh, him and I didn't get along when I was a relief pitcher because I felt like he was constantly mismanaging me. So the, the, the highlight thing that's on YouTube is I had blown out my elbow. My elbow is completely non-functioning and they made me pitch anyways. And I was like, fuck you guys. This is stupid. I should be on the disabled list. I like literally can't bend my arm. And because uh, I would get this taken out, they would take like bone chips and bone spurs out of my arm every couple of years. <laughs> and um, so I've had five arm surgeries. So uh, so I knew that I needed that. And they were like, oh, no, you know, tough it out. I was like, fuck you guys. So they put me in the game. I pitched like shit. I did hit A-Rod, though, for you, Huddle. I hit him. And then um, so then That's he right. comes out to get me. I'm like, I'm like, is that the result you look for? And I like flipped him the ball. And he's like, no, you got to give me the ball like a man. And I'm like, yeah, well, fucking whatever, dude. So um, after that. After that, I was like, I need to be a starting pitcher because I can't be subjected to this guy because he doesn't he doesn't know how to manage a team. And just like a bad relationship, people tend to go with the opposite of what they just had. So we had a super smart kind of Napoleon complex guy, Buck Showalter, who was like a strategy guy. And then they were like, wait, we fired him. Let's get Ron Washington, like Mr. Rara, you know, that's never, never managed ever never been an actual manager, just been a coach, like to tell people to like take round balls. I mean, he's from, he's from Moneyball. He's the guy that's like, it's going to be the hardest thing you ever did, Scott. We're going to get you to play first base. That's Ron <laughs> Washington. But in real life, he would say stuff like he played dominoes before the game with like Gary Pettis, the first base coach. And he'd be like, y'all can't beat me. I'm the motherfucking dominologist. And we're like, <laughs> all right. Okay. The, the dominologist. Yeah, he would say shit like that. And we were like, okay, how? So we would get together. We were like, we have to be winning by five runs by the fifth inning because otherwise he's Simple Ron is going to blow it. Like we would call him Simple Ron. So um, <laughs> fuck you, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. yeah CJ is so good at impressions, by the way. Before the end yeah. of the show, we, Hold on, we, have to get, we have to get him to do Bitcoin Tina. 
And we have oh. to get him to do NVK because he has a great one of both of those guys. Well, I've got four listed here. <laughs> I've got NVK, Bill Clinton, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Peter McCormack. I said oh. I might be able to do you by the end of the show, but I didn't say I've had it dialed. Though. I want to. I, I want. I want to hear NVK. Definitely want to hear NVK. Oh, the NVK yeah. one is so good. It only works if I have if I'm actually holding a cold card or something. So let me see if I have something <laughs> on me. Got You got to channel him here. I'll ask you some questions and you can respond as NVK. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't see this on Clubhouse, but I gotta like I gotta take it in. Give me a chance to take it in. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, what 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 are some of your favorite kinds of uh, cuts of meat? You know, I know you're a carnivore. So, what are you, what are your favorite cuts that you like, uh, NVK? Okay, Hadel. You know, the thing is about the meats, you have to have like, like you have to cut it right. Okay, so like a picanha, if you cut it one way, you could for the spe- if you spear it like at Fogashau, that's cool. But like if you cut it like a steak, you got to go across the grain. But you know, the cold card. It has the $5 wrench attack, but now the $5 wrench, because of CPI being fucking bullshit, is more like $7 wrench attack. Um, but, you know, just, just, like, use your fucking judgment, man. Like, if, I don't know, if, like, ribeyes look good and they don't look gross, like, get the ribeyes. As, especially for cooking do? outdoors. It's the ribeye. It's so good. It's so do you know what we should do? We should it's we so should just, like, record him saying that Trezor is actually better than Cold Card. And cold card oh, my God. No, I can't do that because I use a Cold Card. No, I can't do that. Dude, no. dude. CJ has done this on Clubhouse, and people have come in the room thinking NVK was speaking. It's oh so, it's so No, the best part it's is so when funny. him and I were actually on the board, like on, together next to each That's other, right, yeah, and him and I were right. both talking with his voice, and people were like, who said that? Who was it? That's and so he calls rude. me NVK. He calls me NVK Cash as a, as a joke, um, so which, which so I love. Um, but, uh, you know, I was actually on the phone with Tina the other day or like whatever. He, we were talking about uh, inflation and stuff like that. And um, my I, I, it was just a private clubhouse room because we it was some sort of Twitter exchange. And he's like, hey, let's get in clubhouse together. So um, then my wife like walks in and she's like, wait, I've heard you doing this guy's voice before. Like, what, what the hell? It's a real person. It's, it's a real person, you know? So it's great. It's totally great until it's not great. Oh, yeah. this is oh my god. No, Who's that? No, 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 is it no, Peter's kid? This is Scarlett. Say hello. Hi, Scarlett. Say hello. Hi. This guy played Howdy. American cricket. <laughs> CJ Wilson. He's a famous sports star. That's how you throw in cricket, Hoddle. You gotta like well, yeah, you do, you gotta like, do that, that weird overhand thing. Yeah. yeah but you can't straight you can't you straighten your arm. So what you get we? you get to hear you have to straighten your arm and throw it. But I can't straighten my arm. So it's we like went, really hard. We went to see the Angels play. Hey, when? What year? Hold on, Angels. Where are they based? Are they in Arizona? Uh, well, it's for spring training, but the Angels are in um, in Anaheim. So by Disney, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've been to Anaheim. Where, how old are you? It was like I want to say eight years ago, seven years. No, I was six, I was on the six, team six or seven years ago. I'll dig, yeah, I'll dig it out. I, we were there. I was I was on the team from 2012 until 2016. Oh so, no, we were definitely there when you were playing because we got like big fine. foam fingers and oh yeah, the blue ones, the blue ones, didn't we? And we we're like, yeah, no, we were definitely there, so we probably saw you play. There you go. Yeah, Seven I was the one in the, right? in the yeah, I was the one in the stretchy pants. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> probably saw you play. All right, come on, I need to hear the Tina thing. Oh my god, uh, the, the Tina thing. I need a prompt though. Like one one day, yeah. one day he he lit up Phil. Like, and, I got it. And, I got, I'll, I'll call you. Oh. 
Okay, go ahead. So, so I just can't I I just can't get into the Bitcoin thing because Bitcoin Cash is to me is still the real Bitcoin because Bitcoin's it's a, Bitcoin that, Cash is a shit coin. All right, I'm not even gonna let you finish on this one. It's not even important that you finish. Your thought means nothing. Okay, if you haven't heard Ross Stevens, if you haven't read Parker Lewis, gradually then suddenly, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Okay, frankly, and you're you're just gonna ruin it for everybody. The more people you talk to, the worse it's gonna get. <laughs> That's solid. That's solid. Uh, the, you know, the key is the interruption. The key is interrupting people. And you have to say, and you have to say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I let you no, talk. Now you let me I'm, talk. Now you let I'm me talking. talk. I'm talking. I'm talking. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. know what you should do? You should do an argument between Tina and NVK. <laughs> That's that, that yeah. stuff. That's stuff. Yeah, I could do that. I've done that. Uh, so I do a podcast, a car podcast called Throttle Dogs, and so I actually play characters on that. Um, and I do. I have done that, but it's very hard with the video. Like if I'm going to yeah. be like, oh, blah, 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 like it just you have to be in a very weird mind state to get into that point. But I've tried it. It's very hard. Can you? So can you do me? Because um, Hoddle does one of me, and it's fucking terrible. Terrible. It's like a standard terrible. British accent. I just, like I just go, yeah. Excuse like me, a, CIA, it's me, Peter McCormick. Yeah, that's terrible. From that's Bedford. actually terrible. From I can do an impression of you doing an impression of me. <laughs> I can do an hello, impression hello, of you doing an impression of me. Hello, Governor. I'm Peter McCormack. I'm from England. I'm from Bedford, and I'm a spook. That's just, it's that's me, literally... Pe- Peter McCormack, just calling the CIA for my weekly debriefing. That's how you sound. <laughs> that's how you sound. <laughs> So okay, like, like, give me give me something to say, and I can repeat it. How about that? Do you say say I went to El Salvador? No, 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 do. Uh, no, no, do. No, 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 because you can do the intro for the show, and I'll use it. Go. Hello oh, from okay. Bedford, the Bitcoin capital of the world. My name is Peter McCormack. Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Hello from Bedford, the Bitcoin capital of the world. This is Peter McCormack, and welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast. It's no team. Decent. We need work. Decent. We need it's, work. I, yeah, we, my first yeah. attempt. Get, my first attempt. We're going to get there. We're <laughs> going to get there by the end of the pod. I feel confident. Yeah. What are your other ones? What other ones are you? Do you oh, let's do Bill Clinton. Explain. Uh, hey, uh, excuse me. George Bush. My George Bush is better, by the way. But George so let me. All right. So senior or so, uh, junior? Bitcoins. It's it's like a money, but digital, and it's a combination of fractional technologies. And amazing mathematics. And if you mathematize your fantasies, you can put it together and help the whole world. Bitcoin. I love it. George Bush. (laughs) (laughs) Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Can't get fooled again. (laughs) Well, the funny thing is like, so I've got a photo. I'll find this for you uh, of me in the White House with a mohawk with George Bush. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have it. I'll, I'll find it. I'll, I'll find it. I've got it somewhere because we, we, we went. We, he he used to be an owner of the Rangers before he became. The oh yeah, that's right. Texas. He was part owner. That's right. Yeah, so he was always been a Rangers fan. Um, yeah. So we went to the White House and because we played the Nationals in D.C. and they invited us, so we went to go see him. And we were like a bad team. It's not like we were good. Like we didn't win the World Series or something like that. But uh, we we all got like one you know thirty second, sixty second kind of block with him. And uh, he's like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, a little bit shorter than I am, 6'1". But with a mohawk, obviously, like he's like this. He's like, he's like, wow, where are you from, son? I'm like, California. He goes, wow, sure does look like it. Hey, let's take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Did literally never forget that. 
Did you take a shit in the White House? So good. Did you take a shit? No, I did not. I did not get. I probably, I probably got a chance to let one loose in a hallway, but I don't think I. I don't think I actually. I didn't. I didn't make any deposits. You know what? That would be my move. You you reach the oval and then you go. Ah, I need to take a shit, and then you just see where you're escorted to. You know, it's got to be the presidential bathroom, right? Dude, I would. I would eat all the way up. I'd be packing it in, ready for it. <laughs> yeah, because you got to make it real. Because if you lie, Secret Service is going to catch you on that, and that's probably a felony. You know, think about it. Yeah, you're on government property at that point. Got to be, be a real shit. Yeah, it's got to be a real shit. Government property. That would be property. that'd be a cool place to play though, as a team. You know, to play in, in D.C. because. In the summertime, Washington, D.C. is, like, really beautiful, and there's all these, like, spies running around. All of Peter's friends are, you know, jogging around in their <laughs> Yale T-shirts or whatever the hell they got to try to look like. I mean, like, literally, you go for a walk in what they call, like, the gallery or whatever it is where all the buildings are, and um, it, it's like a Jason Bourne movie. You see all these, like, super clean-cut, like, Navy-looking people, like, jogging, and I'm like, that guy's a fucking spy. That guy's it's a spy. It's not jogging, though. What... <laughs> If you want to be a spook, you have to be able to you have to be able to master that run, which is a slow motion, fast run. Because yeah, you see it's like people jogging. Seven point two five miles an hour. Yeah, that's how you run as a spook. It's true. It's not a jog. Knees up. You got to get the knees up. Yeah, yeah. Like, and you, you've just got to remember, you're always running next to a car and feel like you're running next to a car. That's how you do it. Problem with problem with DC as a you know, as a player, is one of the things I, I've... No, I'm not going to talk about this. What the fuck am I talking about? Uh, anyway. Oh, wait. That's spook stuff. That's spook yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, we got way too close to home on that one. Way. What were you about to say? Was it something spook-related? Uh, I got I got a tap on the shoulder. I'll talk about it later. Got it. Got wait, it. Got what? It. You did? You got the text. You yeah. got the text message. Yeah. You got the, got the text. You got the red beep, alert. Beep, the red beep, alert. Beep. You got too yeah. close. From who? From who? From... You got to say it now because the plebs are going to have a field day with the fact that you just said what you just said. Good. I'm, I'm going to leave it like that. <laughs> okay, Peter, I got a question for you because you're such a big cricket fan. Um, one of the big scandals right now in baseball is that they're, you know, the guys are getting in trouble for doctoring the ball, for using like artificial yeah, grip yeah. surfaces and stuff. So is there anything like that? Is there anything like that in, in other sports? I mean, does, yeah. do people have like a sticky a sticky boot in soccer so they can bend it better on corner kicks? No, none of that shit in football. Um, but in cricket, it's a, it's a problem in cricket. So, And there's two things they do because when they're bowling, I don't know if you've seen them on cricket, but they always like shine one side of the ball. They run yeah, it on there. Yeah, because you can make it swing one swing. So what they do, there's a couple of things they might do. Sometimes they leave a sweet wrapper, like a toffee sweet wrapper in their pocket rub it on one side to make one side sticky or mm. people have been caught with like sandpaper and they're kind of like belt line and they're just yeah. rubbing it on there to rough it up but the fucking idiots they always get caught they always get yeah. caught and i'm always like you in my head though i'm always like you're fucking cheating like how shit is it to be caught cheating like you're fucking low life you're, you're well paid you're a sports star and you're fucking cheating i've got no time for it honestly it pisses me off yeah, I mean the the thing is that it's been so permissible because they put rosin on the on the mound for pitchers. So when you're right. sweaty, you know you have like this like ability to kind of grip the ball a little bit, a little bit sweaty. But if you're too sweaty because you're like profusely drenched in sweat, like it's Texas, it's 110 degrees outside, then you literally have to do what I did, which is like I, I used to put rosin on my entire uniform, so just to have hopefully one dry spot. That's also why I wore a loose jersey most of the time, so I could like have a dry spot to dry my hands off because there's no towel out there. So if your hands are slippery, then, you know, you can hit somebody in the face, which happened a couple times, uh, sadly, for uh, for those guys. 
But um, the thing is now they made it, they made like this new scientific shit. That's like ceramic and you could like spin the ball crazy off your fingers and they can hear it where it goes like coming off guys' hands now, which is like way too far, obviously. Yeah. Hold on. Have you seen this thing up here, by the way? No. What the fuck is that? I can't tell. It's a shrunken head. See if it works on the camera. Is it? It's my employee of the month badge. Yeah. (laughs) Did Peter? Did you listen to uh, the debate I had with uh, Dieter Bob? Who, uh, by the way, he says hi. He hopes you get nut cancer. Is that the one where? On spaces, and I came in afterwards, yeah. and then Stony was. Oh yeah, that's right. You were you were unintelligible bullshit. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot you were a part of that shit. He's like um, what's that thing? It goes animal. It's like animal like Chewy. No, he's like Chewy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> fucking unintelligible bullshit. No, I, I, I mean, the thing about Dida is, I mean, I don't really want to talk about these people all the time, but the thing about him is, he just makes stuff up, puts it out there, and sees what happens. I mean, hey, it's you know, it's an effective strategy. You just start making up stuff about people and see what sticks. <laughs> it's like something's gonna something's gonna stick, you know. Next up, I talked to CJ Wilson and Hoddle more about toxic maximalism and a bunch of other stuff. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's kick off with Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as you know, regular listeners, I'm always talking about the importance of UX, especially for new people coming into Bitcoin. So when Exodus reached out to me, I was like, come on, it's got to work for me. I've got to have a play with it. And you know what? They crushed it. So I'm happy to recommend Exodus to my friends and family. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. Now, if you want to check this out, head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Next up, we have my friends over at Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks, they're all ways that you can lose your Bitcoin or have them stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again because Casa is a multi-sig wallet that allows you to custody your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And you can distribute these wallets into different locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you've got questions about this, you can reach out to me. You can hit me up on Twitter or drop me an email. I will get back to you. I am a customer. I'm happy to explain it all to you. If you want to find out more, please head over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And this week, we're finishing with sportsbet.io. Now, as you know, because I keep talking about it, the Euros are on. And I've teamed up with sportsbet.io to join legends Brett Lee and Danielson in making predictions during the tournament. And we are heading into the quarterfinals this weekend. England are playing Ukraine for a chance in the semifinals. And my picks are out there. I've put my picks up. So if you want a chance to win a prize, then you can go and compare my picks against the other two and see who is right. To find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions and click on Clubhouse Legends Picks. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions and click on Clubhouse Legends Picks. Well, we should talk about, about Bitcoin a bit. That thing's oh, hold on, I interrupted you about 30 Let's minutes ago. It. No, it's all good. Your, uh, no, no, I was just... You know what's interesting? I've been so me and CJ are, you know, clubhouse buddies and we were hanging out in Miami and shit. And one of the things I thought was really interesting about CJ is like he just always has been a super low time preference individual. Like when he was 
you know, 12 years old, he'll tell you the story, but he was visualizing, you know, major league baseball success. And then he manifested that for himself, manifested his whole fucking life. And I think it's interesting that that kind of person uh, post-career, when you have this mountain of money, you know, because CJ obviously earned a lot of money as you can Google his net worth or whatever. Uh, you know, he did well while he's playing. You got a, you got a melting ice cube, just like Sailor talks about. And you got to figure out how to protect that. And I think it's very interesting that that kind of individual, and not only just CJ, but, you know, a lot of guys, like I talked to Sean, Sean Culkin down in Miami or, you know, Russell Kung or all these guys have figured out, like, Bitcoin is the best way to protect my wealth uh, and to ensure future prosperity for myself and my family. And I think it's fucking, I think it's really interesting, the connection between uh, pro sports and Bitcoin, whereas there's not as much of a connection between like, let's say entertainment and Bitcoin. I think it's the sports guys, a mm. uh, little more realistic, a little more motivated, a little more low time preference. They're used to doing hard things. They don't mind volatility. Like CJ was talking about volatility from the minors to the majors, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I think just like exploring the psychological connection there is like really interesting to me. We'll do that. Well, CJ, is your, net, is your net worth page accurate? Uh, probably not because, uh, I did get ripped off a couple times by employees. I had to sue a guy, some stuff. So I wouldn't say it's totally accurate, but I know what I made playing baseball. And if that shows what my salary earnings were, that's true, but that's also before taxes. So So I've got, hold on, I've got my first net worth page. Someone created a net worth page for me. What do they think you're worth? (laughs) Well, firstly, they've, they've got a picture of me at the top. Um, I think in a Metallica uh, shirt or not a Metallica no, shirt on, on a motorbike in El Salvador, uh, and it says the what's, mild managed man, mannered British investor has thoroughly experienced the world high. There's got a picture with me with a car. Then uh, it says I claim my net worth was 150 grand. Sounds right. Uh, Sounds right. Long into history, uh, and then hold on. Oh, I hope your net worth is not 150 grand because your car cost 150 grand. So <laughs> I hope you have no, a little up, more than that. So they've up, they haven't given me a net worth on here. Um, uh, so at the time, they've updated it. At the time, they had five million, which it definitely wasn't that. Um, but they also they listed a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't even me, like all these shares I owned in companies. So they obviously confused confused me with somebody else. Oh, that's a shame. That's quite funny. Well, didn't you say you had five million at the top in 2017 before you no, fucked it all up? No, it was like 1.2. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. I've never Googled what my net worth is because I know what my net worth is. So it's, it's uh, yeah, you don't need to Google it. It says 35 million here, but either what's what's, a, what's what's five or 10 million between friends? Who cares? That's probably somewhat accurate, realistically, just because of the value of the business that I own now, you know, being up there. Um, not because I have that much. CJ owns a Porsche. He owns a Porsche dealership. Nice. Yeah, Porsche, Porsche, Audi, BMW. But Hoddle, back to your thing. Like, if you don't experience pain, you don't know what the real world is. And athletes experience pain, whereas I think entertainers they don't. They they experience like like you know depression or something that's not really like tangible. They experience emotional down you know down down days, but they don't necessarily have like a broken back or a torn you know, torn elbow or something like that. They don't like break a leg. It doesn't really happen in Hollywood. Right. So these people that are kind of campaigning for people to like them on TikTok or watch their TV shows or buy their albums, they don't really have the same type of, uh, I would say stakes as a, a football player that could blow his knee out and not walk right the rest of his life or a baseball player yeah. that gets hit in the head with a line drive. 
Um, so for me, the reality checks there have always kept me very grounded in regards to it doesn't matter what I do today. Tomorrow I have to wake up and go back to work. If you have a perfect, if you pitch a perfect game, you got to go get ready to pitch in five more days. So your season's not over just because you had one amazing game. And I think that's the thing where a lot of people, especially in the entertainment industry, they're like, oh, yeah, but I was in this one movie. And it's like, yo, that was 10 fucking years ago. Like, nobody cares anymore. Like, it's great that you were in this movie, but like, make another one. You know what I mean? Write a better song. Come on. But I think a lot of, I think that's the reason why baseball players or football players or any athlete really sees that because they know at some point they lose their skill. They lose the ability to do that. So they, and they want to keep that lifestyle greedily. We always want to have a cool lifestyle, drive a Lambo, whatever, uh, go on safari, safari trips, you know, and go see lions and stuff. Um, as a motivating factor and, and take care of your family and stuff like that. But for me, it was like, I was always very skeptical of government intervention in terms of the finance world. So like in 2008, 2009, I was a super gold bug. You know, that was like really my first like foray into skepticism on, on the finance side. And so I was trading gold and buying gold, and, you know, buying pounds, and buying euros. And so I've always been playing like the macro game as an investor, but um, I didn't really, like I heard about Bitcoin, but it was, really more in association with like the Silk Road aspect of, of things. And so for me as a straight edge guy, right now that we're talking about that, I was like, I can't do this like drug money shit. I can't get involved in that. It's like too weird, you know? So it was like the FUD that, that, that FUD hit me hard and I didn't have any Bitcoin buddies at the time that kind of, you know, talked me out of it. So I was like looking at it, but that was like, eh. So that's like 2014. So 2017, it, it goes up and I'm like, this is not going to end well. It crashes. I was like, ha ha. Uh, and then uh, it didn't go to zero. So I was very interested at that point because I was like, how is it that it could drop from 20,000 to 3,000 and people still want to buy it? Like, what is it about Bitcoin that's so special? And then I started doing some more independent research and then I was like, okay, I need to get into this. And I mean, this is actually a good opportunity right now because it's way far down from where it should be. And if you look at the bottom of the chart, you know, as a long-term hodler, you look at the bottom of the chart and see what it's done what the lows are every year and it's a higher low every year and that to me was more attractive because then it's like i don't even have to work at this because i have all these other things to do i have to run a business like i can't sit there and day trade all day although i did last year but that was kind of stupid but um Dude, that's what got what's me. what's the 992 like to drive the a, a 992s has the same approximate mechanical grip level as a 2016 gt3 rs because the the tire profile wow. and the width and the steering so it's actually like I was blown away because when we first drove it, it was on the track and I was I, the mechanical grip and, and how the rear steering works now and stuff like that is just, you know, it's as good as the, the RS cars used to be. So have you, um, have you had a, have you had a 4S then? A 9924? Have they done a 4S? Yeah, they have. Yeah, they? yeah 4S, Turbo S. Uh, the GT3s are coming out now in Europe. They're about to come out like maybe two or three. They're going to come out around Halloween in, in America. So that's like our strongest thing right now is we have people just like throwing money at us. Like, please take my deposit. I want a 992 GT3. Is there a, is there a GT2? Because I always, like in the <clears throat> in the 991, I prefer the GT2. The GT2 was one of the most psycho cars that Porsche's ever made. It was un yeah. unbelievable. Um, uh, we, we sold about eight of those through the dealership, which is pretty lucrative for us. And They're one of those few cars that goes up in price. The, yeah. The I, used I used to love the GT2 so, so much, man. So I used man. to like go... The yeah. wing... It's the big wing, you know. Yeah, the big wing is. Sick. But it's the one they did with it was the gray with the kind of like dark gray bonnet. Uh, mm -hmm. did it have yeah, the, the carbon bonnet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's a the the GT2 is like it's rear wheel drive. It's it's like a it's like holding a loaded gun. You know, it's definitely a tool, but you have to know how to use it. Otherwise, you could you know end up losing a foot. Um, the yeah, thing is Aston's though that. Rear, I think my Aston's rear wheel, rear wheel drive, and that's because yeah. my last I had the nine nine six four S, and I fucking loved it. But it just beautiful became a car, bit like beautiful car. But like you, you kind of you you want modern things in your car. So yeah, and the interior of the nine nine six sucks. Realistically, yeah, sucks. the outside's yeah. great. The outside, the, the the rear tail lights that go all the way across. It's uh, we've we've actually bought and sold a couple of those. I, I play a lot. I speculate in the car market in that regards, where you know I, I try to find like you know, cars that are underappreciated for what they really have in them. And so like the Audi RS4 from 07, 08, uh, the, the BMW M3 from like 08 to 2013, I've, I've been buying a lot of those, you know, while they were down yeah. and then riding the, the wave back up. So I was, as so, been, I was so close on a 992, like so close. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I think it comes down to like, if you can spec the car out the way you want it, then it really changes the equation. Because if you... If you say like I want to get this special color that I haven't seen, then you kind of have to get a new car, you know, because you mm. can't really repaint a used car that devalues the whole thing. So um, I we just got a purple one in yesterday. We got a we got a purple C4S in with a stick shift that the guy the guy ordered wanted. I like weird colors, so um, you know that's that's what I'm really into. I, I, I have a whole rack of like helmets and stuff back here, and I'll grab the one on the bottom. But it's the, I had a I had a McLaren P1 at one point. And nice. this is one of the things that like biggest regret in 2014, I bought a McLaren P1. If I would have bought, if I would have spent a 10th of the money on the P1 on Bitcoin. I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah, that's, I that's know. the, that's the hardest thing. Cause I was spending money at the time. It wasn't like I didn't have it. Like I had it and I was just doing stupid shit with it. YOLO, you know, but that sounds like we should that shit though. Yeah. Let me grab this. I, I got to grab this. This is actually kind of a good yeah, story. Show me. People always say that shit. Hold on. I, I like I like how you guys are talking about super expensive cars, and I literally don't have a car at the moment. I drive my wife's minivan around. So, so see how this color changes, Peter? Oh, nice! Yeah. So my car was this color. Nice. That's a proper so they, racer color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, so they they made this custom for me. Um, and in the sunlight, it turns orange. You can't really see it here, but it's pretty wild. What so cars did you green. race? What cars did you race? Uh, I've raced, um, let's see, everything from spec Miatos to formula three, LMP, LMP three cars, GT three cups, GT four, uh, Porsche, Audi TCR. I got to drive the Porsche 919 hybrid, the Le Mans car. Um, it was me and, uh, Patrick Dempsey and, um, Michael Fassbender. And they let us drive it at this track in Spain. It was literally the best day of my life behind the wheel. Um, Wow. I've had a very charmed life in terms of experiences, which is why I can totally be a plug now because I'm like, I've done everything. I just want to like go to work and stack Bitcoin, kind of done chasing experiences. I can't I can't do any better than I've done. I've got a I flew an F sixteen, I drove the LMP one hybrid Porsche car, and you know, so I'm just like, all right, well let me drink some root beer and you know, some espresso and stack sats all day. That's really all that matters. That's a, that's a charmed life. You know, I fucking loved the Indy five hundred. Mm. That was wild. Yeah. Yeah, well, I want to get hold of. I want to get hold of Jack because uh, yeah. the, the the next thing the next thing that 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 you know that Bitcoin needs to get involved in is the Dakar Rally. So that's a fourteen day desert rally, mm. um, which lots of ups and downs, lots of sand, 
lots of not giving a shit and lots of just going for it. And, uh, one of my buddies, run, uh, well, one of my buddies runs a team and he was like, Hey man, do you know anybody wants to sponsor our Dakar team? And I was like, depends on how much it is. And he told me the number and I was like, I need to talk to Jack. I texted Hoddle. I texted Hoddle. Yeah. I texted you wherever. How big's the number? I'm supposed to get you in touch with Jack. I forgot about that. How big's the number? Sorry. Uh, cheaper, cheaper than in, cheaper than any car. Uh, yeah, like let's say, let's just say it's a, it's gonna be a tenth of what they spent on Indy. Well, the Indy thing was flexible though. It's like how much can we raise ideally? So just okay, so so like I'm telling you, grand? it'll be less. How much? Less, lots less, way less. Hundred? Less, but I can't talk about it. It's just we, we should, I'm, I'm, I don't want to talk about it, but I but, but I, can, I, on, I can do it. I can do it with all the money I've won off Hoddle. <laughs> I'm gonna win that bet at the end of the year. What's the bet? Uh, what's the wait? What's the bet? Hoddle already lost a bet to Jimmy a couple months ago. So I've lost a bet. To P- I lost a bet to Peter too in the election. I bet Trump and Peter bet Biden. I lost a half a coin, and I'm gonna win that half a coin back at the end of the year when the Bitcoin price is over 300k by Christmas. Let's fucking go! <sighs> wow, that's you a double, big bet. You want to double this, it? This, this is what Bitcoin. It. This is what Bitcoin does. No, I don't want to fucking double it. I I thought thought you turns, turns you <laughs> into <laughs> degenerate gamblers. Is that what you're saying? I'll double it. I feel. I'll double I feel, it now. Yeah, of course you'll double it because it's, on, it's, we're, thir- we're at thirty k. Uh, I feel very confident though in the original. Then double bet. it. I'm not doubling. Double I'm not doubling it. Though. No. Are you hedging? Are you hedging this or what? What's the deal? No, I, I'm not hedging it. I'm not hedging. I'm not. Hedging I thought about shit. it. Someone asked me to. Hedging is for pussies. Yeah, I'm not hedging. So, Peter, let me ask you this though: as a citizen of the world, someone that travels a lot. Um, how do you, how do you kind of, when you talk to people, new people, how do you explain that, how Bitcoin's helped you in terms of like being a tourist or a traveler or whatever? Cause you get to go to all these places. I mean, do you see that like, like Bitcoin kind of normalizing all the, the world? Cause we talk about all the time about how it's going to be the world economy. Uh, the world do you know what? Economy. It doesn't help me at all. Apart from when I go to Alzante, because I know other people are using it. I know other people are kind of Bitcoin only, and when they get to a place, they're trying to find someone to sell some Bitcoin to, or maybe even an ATM. Um, there's one prominent Bitcoiner when I was in Chile. He was like, "Do you want to buy some Bitcoin from me?" Because he just travels on his Bitcoin. But I don't do that. Um, I because I, I ideally I don't really want to be traveling with Bitcoin um, mm-hmm. because you know situations that I don't want to be in. So all I've ever got tend to have is a small amount on like a sorry on a phone wallet. But going to El Zonte, the interesting thing there in El Salvador is that the project is so small and the town is so small, it just works. They haven't got a cash machine apart from a Bitcoin ATM. And when I got there, the first kind of day, I didn't even need any dollars. All I because I, I was coming um, straight in from where was I coming in? From? Miami. No, right? no, no. It was before there, the first time. Anyway, but most places where you want to get a coffee or whatever, you can. They they've all got lightning wallets on their phones. You can just pay in Bitcoin. And you know what? Like it's $5 here, $2 there. So it doesn't matter. And then the second time I went back, I did I did need some dollars. So I went and used the ATM for the first time, which was uh, which is an interesting experience. But that's that's if that project expands to the point where this is happening in places all around the world, then mm-hmm. all it means is that I just don't even have to worry about cash. And I've got this fucking thing here. Let me show you this thing. You talk, can't you? Yes, Hoddle, this is one of those things that we talk about a lot, which is like, at what point do you start holding more Bitcoin on you so you can actually transact, right? Whether it's as a hot wallet. Yeah, true. As a, you know, as a general rule, like you should only ever have, I don't know, maybe like a thousand bucks. Like, 
whatever you're comfortable keeping in cash in a real wallet, that's what you should have on your phone. And then everything else should be cold storage, right? Yeah, like, that's what I tell people is like, it's an yeah. uncomfortable amount, which there, there's a threshold of where, of discomfort where you're like, ah, this is too much money to have the to, to yeah. have in one place. But I, as, as, as I tell you, did I tell you what happened to me in Miami? No, somebody came up, somebody came up to me and a couple other Bitcoiners while we were at the bar and cloned my fucking phone. So and I it was it was oh, you had a burner phone, too, though. Right? Well, here's the thing. I had a burner phone, but I was only using it at the conference and when I was at Bitcoin specific events. And then, of course, the one time I fucking slip up, I was just at the bar with a couple of guys. I won't say who, um, just because I want to protect their security. But, uh, you know, we I thought it was just a safe location. One of the guys I was with had been tailed in by a Chinese national who had a very suspicious suitcase with him. Uh, I get back home. My accounts start getting hacked. Luckily, like my security is pretty good. So no major problems. But it was a fucking, you know, bitch and a half, honestly. So, How do they yeah, do that? You don't, you don't want to keep it. Well, they use this device called the Stingray to perpetuate a man in the middle attack on you. Uh, I think anyway, that's what happened to me. But yeah, there so were a lot is, of this, events like that uh, happening down in Miami. So this is because of all the travel. This is a box I've got. And it's like full of all different fucking foreign currencies. Because when you're done, you've always got some dollars left over uh, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've got... Uh, so it's like dust. Money, it's Norwegian like it's like money. dust at this point. You've got you've got little tiny amounts that you can't really convert. Right? Yeah, Barbados dollars, um, Hong Kong. Honestly, I've got all kinds of fucking shit in here. Can't you just Cambodia take that to a bank and they'll convert? I mean, for probably, you. but like some of them, it's like I don't know what the what the fuck is this? Viet, a thousand dong, a thousand Vietnamese dong. It's probably like twenty. Yeah, certain 20 cents certain parts of the country, a thousand dong would be pretty popular. Yeah. Uh, fuck off. <laughs> uh, what have I got here? Uh, Hong Kong. That's you can just take this there. shit to a bank, bro. They'll cash yeah, it for you. What I'm saying is, most of it's just not worth anything. And also, sometimes I go back, like, you know, I've got some dollars at the moment. I go back and I'm like, I don't get America if I got any dollars. Well, but yeah. The, the right. point being is, but the no, dollars but like, accepted everywhere, I mean. But the point being is that. Um, the more you go to places that got Bitcoin, you just you just don't even think about it. And yeah. the way well, I it makes about a it. lot of fucking sense for the world to have one currency, does it not? Yeah. I mean, it makes it makes just the same amount of sense as the world to be on one language. But the one yeah. language thing will never fucking happen because of cultural, you know, heritage and all sorts of shit. But one money, like we can do one money, and like every like communication would be just so much more seamless. You basically get globalism minus debt slavery. Like there are so many intangible benefits to us all being on the same currency. But how uh, many countries? How many countries do we really need? How many countries do we really need before it is one money? That's the question. I mean, obviously we've yeah. got we've got a couple in the oven right now, potentially, right? Panama, Paraguay, Paraguay, you know, some of yeah. these other ones. I really hope Panama goes for it because Panama would be like the Switzerland of Latin America at that point. This is sort of my thing because because so much. Business runs through the Panama Canal. Yeah. Super industrialized, huge airport. You know, like good, good population size, and it's re- it's literally the bridge between North South America and Pacific and Atlantic. I think that could be like a massive hub for a lot of people. But if you days. if you have El Salvador, Panama, and Paraguay, you've got a movement, and everyone else. That's what I'm saying. Like, Costa Rica has to do it. Costa Rica has yeah. to do it at that point, right? And then you have this whole like surfing tourism between. You know, El Zante and Costa Rica, you know, and then like Panama, like you could do like this whole Bitcoin surf surf tour. You know what I mean? That would be that would the be prob- the problem for us as Americans is if you want to go down to one of these Bitcoin friendly regions, 
America still wants to take a hefty bite out of your ass. So even if you plan to move there, you got basically a 50% exit tax. I don't know what it's like in England, but for us, that's a real concern. Or, you know, you could, you could try and say, I'm going to do some shell game stuff in the Caribbean or whatever. But like, honestly, that seems uh, dangerous and that they will come after you like no matter where you are. So Americans are kind of stuck. We need to like stay here and uh, shift things from the inside rather than exiting, I think. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that there's the question is, Who's who's next on the in Congress to go for the laser eyes? We've got Lummis, Warren Davidson, we've got some other people that are, you know, very like focused on it and I would say open to it. But if it's not we don't see waters, I'll tell you that. No, much. no, no, no. <laughs> but if but we can elect Bitcoiners though. That's the thing. Like if we're willing yes. to elect Bitcoiners and take it on as a, as a you know a single issue vote, then you know, the, the, the American system has a lot more turnover than a lot of these other these other countries because you don't have a dictator that's going to stay there for 10, 20 years. You've got people that you can vote out after four years, you know? So if we, if we, we're talking about this a lot of like telegram groups and stuff is what, what, what can we do to, to potentially, you know, like talk to people that are involved in, in the legislative branch to see like what, uh, what there is that they need to see, you know, it's like with Bitcoin ETFs or, whatever, you know, that there's these, there's these sectors that are very exposed because they want to get reelected. And if we go to them and say, Hey, listen, you might get two or 3 million voters. If you pick this up, like that's a big deal for a governor or something, which is why like Suarez is doing such a, you know, such an open campaign in, um, in Miami about that. Right. He's, he's looking to attract Bitcoin voters that are then going to keep voting him in as mayor. I mean, it's gotta be the play, you know, psychologically. Can we talk about breed love? Yeah, let's do it. To? Yeah, I do because <sighs> I read the whole thing. I read the whole thing he wrote. So I didn't read it. I didn't read it. I'm I read honest. it. I didn't. Well, read it. I read the first half and then I skimmed the second half. Um, so what do you think? Only because, well, because I'm European, so I'm a bit softer, and and I just kind of, I I don't know if he wants to re- rewind the clock or he wants to stick to his guns, but I want the clock to be rewound for him and this not to mm. have happened. I'm I like the guy. I spent time with him in Miami. Me He's too, a yeah. nice guy. He's a good mm-hmm. dude. And I'm just finding what's happening to him brutal. And I know it's like he deserves it. And I know this is toxicity, yada yada. And I don't know. I'm just think I just I just feel sorry for him. Well, I feel sad. Uh- I don't know him that well, but I think he's a. I think I think he's a very intellectual guy, and I think sometimes what happens to very intellectual people is they take a stance and they don't consider all the angles. Right at the end of the day, it's it, there is there's if someone would have told him that this was an eighty percent chance of happening, I don't think he would have gone about it the same way. That's a good way to say it. But in other in other interviews, I think it's, it comes down to to him saying like, hey, I'm going to be me and you can't change me either way because this is my freedom to say what I want. And, you know, from a financial standpoint, I think a lot of people jump to conclusions that maybe were a little bit extreme and then it just got worse. And now I think it serves more as a, as a warning, not to, to people on that level where, you know, authors and, and thought leaders and stuff like that, but more to like to everybody new entering the space to say like, hey, listen, the temptation to take easy money never goes away. And, and, and that is why Bitcoiners are so like militant or whatever you want to call it towards like, do this path, you know, do this thing. Don't do these things, do this. 
It's yeah. because they, they feel like the temptation is really bad. And, and if you, if you liken it to something else, whether it's like a religion or whatever, there's obviously like certain things that like are sort of non-negotiable in those, in those belief sectors. And in this case, uh, you know, this, this particular thing, uh, has been seen since inception as such a one way street. You pay in Bitcoin to like get these tokens. It's like, it's bullshit. Cause you can't get your Bitcoin back. So anything you can't get your Bitcoin back is somewhat of a scam or a full scam. Right. And that's the way a lot of us see it. And, and regardless of who it is, you know, that's, that's the way I look at it. So what I, what I, I want, what, he, what I want Rob to do is I want Rob to come out and say, listen, guys, I needed the money. I promoted and then I dumped a shit coin. I tried to get one past you because I knew it was unethical. I fucked up and I'm sorry. I'm obviously not a shit coiner. I obviously don't believe in this project. And, uh, you know, just a human error on my part. I don't that's, want that's he, not what happened. I don't want that's, that's not what happened. But yeah, that's not what happened at all. If you read his thing, assumption. which is his, his thing is like 3,000 words. I read the whole yeah, thing. But, but, and he says, I did CJ, not need you, the money, you know? Yeah. But, but you could easily argue, well, that's you're post rationalizing something. The, 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 let's go, let's just go to the point pre um, draining the wallet, where he's just said, I'm just going to have a look at this, right? Now, my, my only defense of this is, is that what it, like, I know everyone's called it a scam, but what if he's intellectually wanting to look at it because he's like considering, is there a better way to run social networks? And the reason I'll put that out there is like, we have Bitcoin maxis that understand that Ethereum is a piece of shit and they've had to play with Ethereum to understand that. They've had to look at it. They've had to yeah. dig into the code. So pre-draining the wallet, he was getting a lot of shit. And I was thinking, well, hold on. I want to look at BitCloud. I want to see how it works. I think it's kind of interesting. I have Okay, so, so my take on that, and I understand where you're coming from completely, which is to say that anybody should be allowed, because it's a free world, to investigate whatever they want academically. Here's the difference. You don't put it on Twitter. You can Google something, yeah. and you can investigate things. You can uh, you look things that. up. You can look things up without having to tweet a link. Or maybe you can phone a friend. Hey, call Jimmy. Call Hoddle. Call one of these other people that is, or call, call Peter McCormick. Call somebody, right? If, if like, I, I think he, he said, it. did he not yeah. say within the piece that, I didn't read the piece, but somebody told me that he said within the piece that he wanted to see if he could pump up the value of the BitCloud token, right? He, he, wanted, so, he, he wanted to see if, if him tweeting about it was going to have a big enough effect to move the price of his token and it or did. whatever. And it did. And it did. But here's the thing, right? Re, here's the thing. He also says, I'm not sorry I did this. I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm not toxic. And I then this proves it that like I am a freedom maximalist. I'm gonna do whatever I want. No one can tell me what to do. And and if someone judges me, I'm gonna block him and I don't give a shit. And that's like kind of a summary. Now that's fine, right? That's fine because it's his life. He can live it however he wants. So the problem is, and like this is what I as as an athlete, I can tell you that this is very comp this is very common. Okay. Hero worship leads to disappointment, broken hearts, and, yeah. and and posters torn off the wall. Okay, people are like, "God damn it, Robert, I loved you." You know right, what I mean? Because right, right. he's like this alpha male buff dude that writes all this stuff and uses big words. And people are like, "Look, look, it's it's a really smart guy. It's a smart guy in Bitcoin. It's not just some Cheeto eating dude in the basement that doesn't that didn't do anything before this." But everybody is subjected to the same rules on the internet, which is that if you tell people things. They're gonna they're gonna look it up. If you say if I threw a stat out there like oh I threw the fastest fastball in history, people are gonna be like fuck this guy. There's no way he did, right? They're gonna look it up. 
So if you if you do anything, people are gonna people are gonna Google it. People are gonna look it up. They're gonna check your Wikipedia. They're gonna check YouTube. They're gonna look it up. And as a result of of him having a lot of material out there to sift through, he's getting ripped to shreds by people that have seen all these other things that he said over the last couple of years. The reality is he's been in Bitcoin probably about the same amount of time that I've been in Bitcoin, but I've only been like a personality in Bitcoin or whatever, like for three months because of clubhouse, because I went in there and said some profound shit, did some impersonations. People are like, wow, this guy gets it. But like, I'm not trying to sell a book. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be a Bitcoin personality in that regard. I'm a baseball person. I'm a car dealer, but I just happen to like have a very hard stance on Bitcoin, but I'm more of like a political person in that regard. I think that politically we have problems Bitcoin can solve our political problems. That's that's my that's my thing. I don't think like financially, if you want to mine Ethereum and flip it to Bitcoin, it's like you're kind of helping the Ethereum network to do that because you're providing security for it. But like once proof of stake comes out, then you can't even do that unless you have 30 Ethereum, which who wants to get caught holding that fucking bag. So I don't know. But like I, I, I traded a lot of other shit on the way up to like becoming a Bitcoin only person. So yeah, but I didn't ever, I haven't written a book saying I've only ever been Bitcoin person, like if that makes sense. So right. let me, let me, it. let me put something else at you. Cause I, I, I always try and think these things through just on, uh, I'm, I'm somebody who makes shows and I'm thinking, is there an interesting topic here? The, the Bitcloud thing I, I, I struggle with because it, we all knew it was a piece of shit. We've known for a long time. Um, but the wider issue is like, are we getting ourselves into a position where there's things we we can't talk about? Are we, we're trapping ourselves in a corner. Let me give you an example. So I did a show today with Nadav, who's fucking great, and did all about why Bitcoin matters and other blockchains are a piece of shit, right? And we covered Ethereum quite a bit. But the one thing on Ethereum that like always goes around in my head is that there are large parts of the Bitcoin ecosystem that benefits from stable coins. They absolutely, without doubt, benefit from stable coins for people trading in and trading out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there are parts of companies which are Bitcoin only that have been that have had parts of their business built using stable coins. So I'm like, well, I definitely need to look at Ethereum because I need to think about this stable coin thing. You know, if I'm going to countries whereby people want Bitcoin or all the a synthetic dollar because they want to trade between the two, well, I need to I need to at least look at Ethereum and discuss it and 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 understand you know how stable it is what its long term future is but i feel like even raising that issue if i put on twitter i'm like i need to take a look at ethereum because of stable coins i just like i almost can't be fucked because i know the bullshit you're going to get from it yeah and that's a good that's point a- but i think the, the the difference is going out and doing independent investigation off camera right versus Versus saying, okay, well, I'm going to take a position on this before I've researched it, if that makes sense. Because it's an, it's, an, it's an indirect endorsement of something if you go out there and say, hey, guys, I really think it's important that ERC-20 tokens are actually like considered as, as like logical to hold. Which, you know, to be fair, there's, you can make a supporting argument for that, right? Because in a lot of exchanges, that is the on-ramp off-ramp. You can't. You can't put dollars onto you know onto some of these exchanges because they don't accept mm. dollars, right? So that's the reality, and and that's I think a logical case there, right? But you're not necessarily pumping up the value of a stablecoin to do that. No, 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 I think no. That's, what I'm saying is you, you're missing the point. You're right. There's 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 off limits. Forget the pump. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it's 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 like an off limits conversation. But the elephant in the room is that people are using stablecoins, and I'm like, well, 
I definitely need to look at Ethereum because of this, because it's part of the ecosystem and people use it. But I'm like, if I do this, I'm just going to get fucking shouted at, harassed. It's like, oh, I can't even be bothered. And that's why I worry that we've gone so far down the like, toxic rabbit hole. We are missing the ability to just even look at some things. Well, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, go ahead. Bitcoin, max, Bitcoin maximalism is a bell curve phenomenon. Uh, and on the right side of the bell curve, you know, you have the people who have done all of the first principles thinking, all of the independent research, and concluded after sifting through everything that Bitcoin is the way, the truth, the light, right? On mm-hmm. the left side, you have pure unbridled dogmatism. So a lot of Twitter is going to be pure unbridled dogmatism, uh, but that doesn't doesn't mean they're not right. You know what I'm saying? Like so. It's it's a little complicated to just say everybody's so toxic and they're so mean to me. And yet there is a certain. I don't think sect. everyone is. Well, no, I'm just saying there. There's a certain sect of Bitcoiners. And we all know some of the names. You know who? Uh, you know these people have mental health issues. They're just being assholes, just to be assholes, and they would be toxic about anything. And they're they're like the SJWs of Bitcoin. And honestly, they all need to you know shut the fuck up because they're fucking annoying. They have nothing to say, and they have they provide no value. But you know most Bitcoiners are not like that. Most, mm-hmm. I would say 99% of Bitcoiners are not like that. Most Bitcoiners have done a fair amount of first principles thinking about this. And like in, you know, in relation to the Rob situation, I'll tell you that I'm, you know, I get texts and I get DMs from very well-respected people that we all know in the Bitcoin space who are disappointed in this action by Rob, but don't feel that he is being, don't feel that they need to cancel him. Do feel that mm. there is a, that there is a path to you know repentance for this, but it's essentially like you can't you gotta stop lying because that that page of you know this is all independent inquiry, it's just listen, it's bullshit. And we all know it's bullshit, and you just can't slip one by the community like this. You can try and do that, you can keep doubling down, but you know, essentially people That's a bad strategy. Not, yeah, it's a bad strategy. Mm-hmm. People are not gonna engage with your stuff anymore. What you need to do is say, listen. I did do this. Uh, you know, the memetic attack on me was extremely distressing as an individual because, Peter, you know, you've been through one. CJ, you know, you're a professional pitcher. Like, they used to write terrible things about you in the newspaper. It is very distressing when you're a human and you go through these kinds of things. And you can make rash decisions like, you know, the mass blocking or calling everybody else out and not looking inward and these kinds of things um, because, you know, it's a very defensive posture. And I can, for me, I get it, right? But, at some point, you have to just be like, "This was a fuck up. This was a fuck up on my part." Take like, the, you have to take have done take this. the loss. You have to take the yeah. loss and take the, take the and loss. be accountable to exactly. that. It's very simple. And like like, and if you do that, everybody forgives the person that is accountable and takes the loss and doesn't try to keep doubling down. And that's the that's where you have these like this political side of it and the social side of it, which are definitely different than than the mathematical argument or the toxic maximalist argument or whatever you want to call it. But and, and well, here I thought it's a good way, point. One, one more point. I want to say this. Like there's been so much discussion this cycle about toxic maximalism. And the reason there's so much discussion about that is because basically nobody is actually doing a first principles analysis on why Bitcoin is successful, why Bitcoin is here to stay, why nation states are adopting Bitcoin. That's the kind of thing you do when you have nothing to say. You say Bitcoiners are mean. Let's talk about why Bitcoiners are mean to me on Twitter, right? And that's been a lot of the conversation around "quote unquote" toxic maximalism this cycle because these people just have they have no answers. They have they have no like worthwhile opinions. 
They, all of their criticisms of Bitcoin have fallen on deaf ears over the years because they're all nonsense. The best critiques come from inside Bitcoin. And so what do they do? They go, these people are mean to me. Come on. We're it's in the fucking always. playground. Who cares it's, if people are mean all, to you? It's not always that way. It's not always that way. Like, I know what you're saying, but... It's mainly that way. It's mainly that way. You know what but I mean? But I, Eric, I think listen, that's, like Eric, that's Eric enough Weinstein of it. Is a good example, right? Eric Weinstein's a good example. You know, like he has offered no meaningful contributions to Bitcoin yet. He wants to tell us all how to be. And it's like, no, thanks, man. Like, I, I like Dude. Eric Weinstein, too. I like Eric <laughs> Weinstein. I think, I think he's been more engaging in good faith than he has been not engaging in good faith. But it's also like the, all of these lessons, all of these trade-offs, the way this thing functions, this was fucking hard-won knowledge. We're not going to just bend over and give it up for you who just got here two minutes ago because you don't like our disposition, we're going to keep being to the way we are. You know? I spoke to him today. So I have to approve. I mean, I don't have to do it. Someone else could do it. But I approve all the YouTube comments because there's so much spam. like, And it ruins the feed. And so I just go through, tick, 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 block, block. The, the, Weinstein, the Weinstein interview has split the listeners more than anyone. That ever. was a frustrating interview for me to listen to. I told you about this yeah. in Miami. It was very frustrating. Yeah. It was frustrating for me, and I and I want to do it again, and I want to let him talk and be less combative. But the the thing is about the comments is that what I think I figured out is that some were brutal, like you're an idiot, you're too low IQ, and the others were completely the other way. Eric can't explain anything. Me and Eric talked about this today, and neither of us have thrown each other under the bus. And um, I think we just. I think we need to do another one because we figured each other out. But what I think has happened with that one, because I took it really to heart, I've started like really looking at the comments. And actually, what I think these are, these are people who are shit coiners or they're no coiners or they're Eric Weinstein fans who've discovered the interview and watched it. And and they they don't fully understand Bitcoin yet. And therefore, they're seeing maximalists arguing with Eric and think, you shouldn't be fucking arguing with him. He's a genius. And, but it, it's such a tricky... I don't think it's an interview that you can... Like the, the President Bukele one, universally everyone loves it. I shut the fuck up, I let him talk, and he just did a great job. This one, I think... you. I don't think you can do one that everyone likes with Weinstein. Listen, the, the enemies of freedom, the enemies of liberty, the enemies of Bitcoin are sharpening their knives to go against Bitcoin right now. You expect us to be nice to you on Twitter? The answer is no. The answer is straight up no. We're not going to be nice to you. Yeah, because something you're competing, more, you're competing with something. This is yeah. more important than your feelings. It's way more important than your feelings. This right. is not a business. We're not a corporation. Somebody told me the other day on Clubhouse, I'm a bad, I'm doing a bad job marketing for Bitcoin. I was like, I'm not a marketer, <laughs> fuckface. I'm not here for you. I'm here yeah. for myself. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I think I think you're right about that. And to address both those points, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it matters how well you can articulate the point you're trying to make. And I think that's what Eric, if Eric had somebody like to actually type out his words and, and like as, like an editor, like his book would be incredible, right? Because you could take all these combative things that he says, like, oh, well, they haven't done anything for anybody yet. They haven't done this. They haven't done that. They haven't made a new university. And it's like, okay, well, hang on a second. Bitcoin's 10 years old, right? What has what yeah, Silicon Valley done? So so it's like, let's But CJ, let's, this is what I pride down. myself on. This is yeah. what I pride myself on, is that I can get people to do that. Because yeah, but, but not, it's not, not your, because I have a talent. It's right. just my level of understanding is at the right bar that when they say something I don't understand, I'm like, can you explain that better? And I could right, not get him to do it in a way. 
But it's it, that's that's a result of his psychological status. It's not a result of his no, intelligence or his IQ. You know, it's a result Rogue, of him maybe no, being in a bad bad mood or whatever. You know, no, it's not Rogue, that hard Rogan, to explain these things. Rogan manages to do it, and Rogan is like he's the best out there at this. And I take full responsibility. I I think if I'd have been less combative when I got onto the combative, is that the right word? Or combative, combative, yeah, yeah. yeah. combative. If I'd been less combative. That then when we got to those difficult bits, I think he might have been more for, forthcoming. But I think I put him into a position where he felt like he was in a bit of an argument. Like he was anti-Bitcoin, we're pro-Bitcoin, and he wasn't. He is pro-Bitcoin, but he just has these ideas. Whether they're right or wrong, I definitely fucked that one up. But here's the, the thing, answer, though. That's okay. That's okay that... Yeah. If if he's if he if this is his version of being pro Bitcoin, that's fine. Do you? We don't really care. That's the whole point. And if you're trying to inspire a spiritual, a revolutionary change in the people, which is what we talk about, right? In a lot of ways, that Bitcoin does that. Then you have to find a way to actually talk about why that happens. And I think that's what Robert was trying to do with a lot of his you know text and stuff over the years. Is he was trying to put out this thing to say, hey, listen, this is connected, you know. And reading some of the stuff, I'm like, okay, this is like a little bit of word salad. You could do this better. But I was a writing major, so I'm always very critical when I read things. And I think the the best way to say it in any way, as an interviewer, as a subject, can you say what you're trying to say? Can you make your point in as few simple words as possible? We don't have to get into massive polysyllabic like battles. You know, we don't have to have these huge things. You can use a you can use a metaphor that can make sense, right? Otto had this this tweet stream the other day, and it was like, "This is your this is your portfolio. This is your diversified portfolio." And it was like Helm's Deep, boom. You know what I mean? And that's because it's evocative imagery, which is why memes are so effective for people that are under fifty years old. Because we understand the cultural reference, we understand the comedic reference, we understand the designation that you're giving to that person in terms of status. Like in Japanese, it's eight levels of formality when you're speaking Japanese. So memes have this same thing. Like you put a like. A clip out of the movie White Girls that's going to have a totally different effect than the movie from like The Graduate or whatever. So you just have to know your audience in, in a lot of ways. And people that can tailor their diction to the audience will win over many people, right? Regardless of the subject, we could be talking about solar panels, you know, lions, uh, vintage race cars or hats or whatever. And if you're approachable and you, and, and you, you talk with the other person in mind, that's what like emotional intelligence is. That's the EQ. And that's just something that Eric doesn't have a lot of. He has a lot of IQ, but there's plenty of people that have both, you know, and that's where you wouldn't necessarily put him on stage to win everybody over at a political rally because that's not his vibe, right? So he needs to answer a little bit more. To answer know, dynamic. Eric's central question from that uh, interview, because I thought about it, you know, he basically asked, can the decentralized people do centralized things? And the answer is some of them can in smaller tribes, factionalized. And that's what's going to happen. Essentially, no, there is no Bitcoin community. There is no, we're not going to move as one unit. We're not going to do big centralized things, but there will be, uh, you know, factions that split off and they do their own thing. And, you know, you can think about it like, um, you know, the Catholic Church and all the offshoots of the Catholic Church. Like Bitcoin maximalism is the Catholic Church. Like it is the big, powerful entity that draws in the most power, influence, and uh, social significance. And then you have other smaller sects that orbit it. And that's sort of how we've been evolving in the space 
uh, for a while now, and I don't see any reason that's going to uh, you know discontinue anytime soon. But the, the problem of that is when someone like Henry VIII comes in and wants to make his own rules and make his own church, right? That's where you have based on whims, not based on like like Lutheranism, where they're making well, that's, sort yeah, of we see that in you know like B cash or you know yeah. BSV or yeah, and any of the yeah. four coins, right? And uh, I mean, you know, Bitcoin is like Christ. Everybody can lo- get together and love Christ, no matter uh, you know what their different uh, you know flavoring of blockchain is. <laughs> it's like you know, Bitcoin is at the core, is at the center of it all. Uh, but but the, you have to stay. You have to stay within you know uh, social consensus in order to be a part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. Whether you have a different moral flavoring, social flavoring, um, you know, in group, out group dynamic, all of that kind of stuff. And like we are just going to see more and more disparate Bitcoin tribes. And, uh, you know, Bitcoiners hate each other, man. Bitcoin is money for enemies, you know. But but the the centralization thing, though, is interesting because it's like there's a lot of very centralized entities out there that are running everything, right? You have non-government organizations, you have governments, you have all these other things. So right now we're seeing a sort of effervescence, right? You're seeing these plebs kind of rise up as they have more financial power using my fingers here. So for anybody that's listening, you know, that can't see it, you, it's like these, like the grass growing, right? And eventually the grass and the seeds of the grass spread and you get more and more people, more plebs stretched out across the world that are holding Bitcoin, whether it's 0.1 or 0.01 or whatever in their wallet, they, they are a Bitcoin or we're all on the same Bitcoin team in that regard. But the thing is, as that influence, you know, has like a I would say uh, it's going to have a wider effect and the wider effect is going to create a central voting block in certain places where you're going to have someone like Cynthia Lummis, who's probably going to always attract Bitcoiners to Wyoming to, to, to live in her district, right? Realistically, then you're going to have people like Suarez that are bringing in businesses actively. Hey guys, come here, come here, get away from Gavin Newsom's idiocy. Come, come to me. We will take care of you. We'll, we'll bring you bikinis. It'll be awesome. We'll have little drinks with like umbrellas in them. So you're going to see more mainstream people trying to adopt Bitcoin as a result of wanting the plebs. That's that's really how it's going to go. It's the opposite. We're not going to have a thought boy or a think boy come out and just be like the spike. And everyone's going to be like, think boy, bow before think boy. That's not that's not the reality for how this movement goes. This movement comes from the ground up like grass, like seeds, and it's going to spread wide. And the width of it is going to be the numbers. The numbers are the girth. Uh, the girth is what moves the Using 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 the grass analogy, I think is interesting because in a decentralized movement, when certain blades of grass get too high, when their egos get too big, they got to get whacked back down so that they can be in line with everybody else. Now, is that an autoimmune response or is that a healthy manicured uh, English garden? You tell me, Peter McCormick. It's an English garden. There you go. So we just got to keep rolling the grass. You got to keep rolling the grass to keep everybody humble and stacking sats. And if if people are trying to use their pile of Bitcoin, right? Which some people have a much bigger pile of Bitcoin than others. If they're trying to use that as a weapon, then that's when they need to get whacked. And if they're trying to use that that influence like for the wrong reasons, it's very easy to see through that. And then people are going to turn because they're getting shade then because this one guy is trying to overshadow everybody else. And that's just where it becomes a problem socially. But if it, we want to have solutions socially, then it's because we communicate and keep the good ideas shared between people and we only get one vote at the end of the day it doesn't matter who you are you get one vote you know hold on does this feel like he's pitching for the, to be the new breed love it feels like a pitch <laughs> give a shit about that no yeah, it does. i just think a, he's gonna I, come I, out I with think... like a 84 page essay tomorrow on some like deep 
philosophical shit where you need to take acid to understand it. Uh, did someone tell you about my Substack already, Peter? Did you already read my Substack? I tell you what, like his Twitter handle tomorrow is going to be CJ Love. I think you know, honestly, the, one of the best things you can do is cut yourself down repeatedly. Like, there's a reason I don't have a high follower account on Twitter because I don't want to have a high follower account on Twitter. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't is that be, why you only wear white T-shirts? Yes. So, so, you, so you can be a you got a monocolor uh, monocolor culture. I'm a um, monocolor maximalist, yeah. No, but 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 Peter, this is this is the thing, right? The best and strongest structures develop away from the light, right? It's very hard to build something perfect in in, in front of everybody. It, you can't yeah. you can't pull off the magic trick that we're trying to with Bitcoin, like in a glass case in the middle of like Wembley Stadium. It's not going to happen. It's going to be across, and it's going to be gradual, and it's going to just be like oh, one day everyone's just going to wake up and be like, oh yeah, Bitcoin's just this thing we do. I don't think it's going to be this like it's not going to be a coup. It's not. This isn't Lenin, fall, you know, taking power from from the Romanovs in Russia. That's not what this is. Like, this is not that. So it, it, everybody has this militant vision of that, but it's a very slow version of that because you have election cycles, you have happenings, you have all this other stuff. It's going to be very hard for Bitcoin. Even if number go up, it, people aren't just going to be able to use their Bitcoin for influence because if if you do, if you make yourself, if you expose yourself like that, you know, pause. Then um, there's a there's a definite there's a definite downside to to that. So if people like you know I don't know how many Bitcoin I have. Like that's the thing that's going to be said. It's not going to be um, oh yeah well this is how much I have and this is when I bought it and I bought it for this because yeah. the people extrapolate that they're like oh this guy's a target now you know and you don't want to make yourself a target in Bitcoin. That's the privacy thing that makes it different than that's that that's different than than religion, which is sort of like hey follow me. I'm the Pied Piper. Fuck that. That's the problem. It's the people that do that that say like, let's march to Bitcoin town. Those people are going to get wrecked uh, socially or whatever because they will trip at some point and the mob will run them over. You know, and that's that's yeah. always what happens. Yeah, it is. It, it always is. it always it's happens. Diff- and, and in Bitcoin, Bitcoiners love to kill heroes. You know what I mean? They want like, blood. They want blood. They, well, they love blood. to be right. Yeah, they love to be blood. right. Yeah, they love to be right. So there's a suspicion about everybody. Everybody in power, we're all suspicious of those people, right? So it's yeah. like, you know, because the people in power have to protect themselves and have to stay in power. That's the one thing they're really good at is you know and staying I mean, there. If, listen, if I ever promote a shitcoin, play this podcast clip back, cancel me, meme me into oblivion, do your worst because you know it will be deserved at that point. Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm only I'm only where I'm at because I've been scammed. I'm only been where I'm at because I've been scammed and I've been ripped off by people, you know. And I've had to sue people and I've, people have gone to jail and like that's the you only reason why I know. Yeah. yeah, that's that's yeah. the pain. But there will be pain. That is the teacher. If you're not willing to deal with that, you won't ever be as good as a bitcoiner as you can be. It was a bit like um, uh, President Bukele when he campaigned to become president. He campaigned on that uh, tagline. It was like. Uh, there's enough money, we just have got to stop stealing it or something. And the reality is, like, Bitcoin... <laughs> Genius. <laughs> what it is, because the last four presidents stole hundreds of millions, one's in Nicaragua, two in jail, and one died. Um, but really, there's enough There's enough gains in Bitcoin as long as you're patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All it takes is patience. I mean, think about All it. All it like, takes is four years. It takes yeah. four years. I mean, well, think about it like this. Like, the Kager on Bitcoin was 200% at the beginning of the decade, right? If the Kager is even half that, or even if it's lower than that, let's say it's like 
uh, somewhere between 50 and 100 going forward the next decade. And we don't know. We could go into hyperinflationary conditions. It could be even more than that, right? But let's just say, if you have, you know, a certain amount of Bitcoin right now, like I did the math on this. If you DCA $20 a day every day for the next 10 years and the kegger ends up being 75%, at the end of 10 years, you have $16 million, okay? So there is tremendous appreciation not only for the people that are already in Bitcoin, but for the people that are brand new. But you do need to stay the course. You need to be consistent. You need to be focused. You're not going to win because you got fancy trading this shitcoin for that shitcoin for this shitcoin. You're going to win because you're going to be behaviorally consistent over time. And at the end of the decade, you will have gifted yourself a brand new life, essentially. Like People don't like to do this, though, because it feels like giving something uh, to a stranger, because when you think about your future self, it's so far off that it feels like a stranger. But you can literally gift yourself a better life, and that's what But it doesn't doesn't even have to be that. But it doesn't have to be that $20 a day. It can be whatever you can afford, as long as you consistently do it. But whatever you can afford... No, yeah, that's a specific example. I'm saying, whatever you can afford is the position you're at, and it's going to raise your standards over that period. So if you're the guy who can only afford $5 a day, it's still going to raise your standard proportion. Unless you're like a moron who's living far out of his depth, you're going to be able to raise your standards. So... But that's and, the, and Satoshi, say, that's the Satoshi versus the full Bitcoin argument, though, is like focus yeah. on stacking Satoshis. because It's a smaller unit then you can count from the bottom up instead of the top down. Because it's very demeaning to say that, oh, I can only buy 0.000, right? Like people get activity bias, they get unit bias on all that stuff. But if it's a 75% model, this one's for you, uh, then if, then you're 10xing, you know, in a couple yeah. years. You know, in a couple of years as a result. Exactly. It's crazy. I mean, think, think about it like this, too. I hear people say that rep- reputation is essentially worthless and that, you know, this is an accumulation game. And so you should get as much Bitcoin as you possibly can. And I just have to say that if you take a longer time horizon uh, on this, like if you have more patience, you will see that your reputation is as valuable as your Bitcoin because the people in Bitcoin who know who you are, who've, you know, watched your journey, uh, you know, your peers, these people are going to have tremendous amounts of capital in the future. They're going to be the true risk capital, the next generation, you know, Silicon Valley venture capitalist guys who are doing the exciting projects, putting money behind new startups, funding exciting ventures, trying to actually change the world with their wealth rather than just buying Lamborghinis. And you want to be invited in on those kinds of deals. So be greedy, be greedy as fuck, but be greedy in the long term. Don't be greedy in the short term. That's like, I, I don't see how people can't see that. You know what I mean? Like, Because I think people have a hard time today, right? They're having a hard time today and they're looking for a solution today for tomorrow. And they, yeah. haven't, they haven't lived through that volatility or they haven't accepted that volatility is just kind of normal, you know? Like people have ups and downs for sure. Right. Scarlett, what did I promise you what? before I started? Being out alone. And how long have I been? Like three. No, I've been two. I promised her an hour. She said, last time you said that, You'd be uh, you were two hours. I don't know. Definitely, it's only going to be an hour tonight, and then we've done two hours, dudes. Uh, this girl. Sorry, no, no, no. It's my fault. She uh, tell the guys what you did today. For the school, she got in the school cricket team. She got in the boys. Congratulations! Team. All right, there we go. Congrats. Yeah, two wickets. She got two wickets. That's awesome. She got bowled out. Listen, come here. This is no, no. This is important. CJ, right? So your CJ is baseball similar. CJ is a pitcher, right? What's All right. A pitcher? Throws the ball. 
Yeah, throws the ball. CJ, how many home runs did you have in your major league career? Uh, I hit. I mean, as a hitter, zero. But as a pitcher, zero. I gave up. I gave up home runs for sure. Yeah. He, so you can't hear it. Oh, you're not even hearing this. He hit zero. Yeah, he hit zero. Right. So yeah. she today she got uh, two wickets, which is basically like a strikeout. Right. Yeah. She got two of those, but she didn't hit many runs, and she's worried about the runs. And I was trying to say, look, you've, everyone's got their role to play in the game, right? Yeah, it's a it's specializing is uh, job job insurance, I would say, and job security is to to be special at one thing. But then you can always get better as long as you're good enough at that one thing. They can't get rid of you, so you can work your way up on the other on the other skill set. That's the key. But by the way, Scarlett, do you want, do you want to know something funny? See this guy here. Mm-hmm. He paid for the deposit on the Aston. <laughs> the deposit. You know when I bought the Aston Martin. <laughs> Well, I had to give him a deposit of whatever twenty thousand pounds. Don't, he don't worry, Scarlett. I'm uh, your dad has actually been very nice to. He's going to give it back to me at the end of the year. Uh, so don't worry about it. I'm not gonna. It was nothing really. To... It was just a small loan. Listen, I've got to go and be dad. Uh, Hoddle, don't forget right, to send me your. Inv- don't forget to send me your invoice for the show, right? <laughs> so fucking annoying. That's so annoying. <laughs> CJ, man, love you, brother. It's great to meet you in Miami. Thanks for coming on. We've got to do this again. CJ, you're awesome. Thanks, Peter. Love it. it. And uh, when we're next out in uh, Yosemite, we'll come out. We'll see you. Hang out. Hoddle. Go see some bears. Go see some bears and hoddle well. I'll see you uh, soon, man. Tell MI6 I said, what's up? All right. Well, just send me your invoice. I'll see you later. Okay. Did you enjoy that one? bit of piss taken in there but it was great to get an american cricket player on the show talk about that strange sport and also talk about hardcore music which i love now these are some of my favorite shows to record it's a nice break from all the economics and philosophical stuff which i don't fucking understand anyway i get to talk to some of the smartest people out there but i also like to have a bit of fun with this so you know i hope you enjoy these shows if you don't you know you can skip them i do release about 13 shows a month anyway now cj's great i would definitely have him back on the pod at some point but what do you think do you like these rehab episodes? Get in touch and let me know. You can either jump into my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you are a regular listener of the show and you've still not left me a review on Apple Podcasts, come on. That's all I'm asking. Just head over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a five-star review, tell everyone why my show is better than Pomp. I would love you for that. Anyway, have a great weekend. I love you all and I'll see you all next week.